Hey, this is Chris Doherty, winner of Survivor Vanuatu. You're listening to the Survivor Historians. Here's three guys who would never, ever get a woman to open up the back door. Welcome to Survivor Historians as we count down the final four episodes of one of the crown jewels of Survivor, Survivor Vanuatu. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. And I'm Mike Bloom. And I have to say, I missed you guys in places I don't even want to talk about. I'm glad it's good to be back. Always good to be back. You know, it's bittersweet to do these episodes. I mean, I always love talking with the Survivor Historians. This is one of my favorite hobbies to do, one of my favorite things to do on planet Earth. And yet, at the same time, we're going to be done with Vanuatu in a couple of hours here. Yeah, it sucks that it, it took us, you know, film uh, recording time, it took us a couple months to to burn through the agony that was All-Stars. But we were all so excited about Vanuatu that we basically got through this in about, like, less than a month or so. <laughs> yeah, I'm bittersweet is a good word. I will say Vanuatu is the last season that I truly, truly love with all my heart. I like China. China's another one that I really like, but Vanuatu is really the last one that I truly love. And I know people have said they're they're kind of concerned about once we get to the seasons that we don't always love how, if what the show is going to be like. But just in our defense, I will say, at least speaking for me, that even though I'm not always a fan of all of the later seasons, All Stars is the only season that I actively hate. So that's the only season I'm just going to sit here and crap on for for three episodes. The rest I'll at least do my best to make them sound interesting. So. So we, we, we will still have some fun seasons ahead, even though, again, uh, Vanuatu is the last season that I really absolutely love. Yeah. I can't speak for Mike, obviously, and I won't speak for Paul, but there are always good moments in seasons of Survivor. I mean, some more than others and some way less than others, Cook Islands. But, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've watched the show. I continue to watch this show. And, you know, I, I think I don't really love the show much anymore. They've had a couple of pretty decent seasons recently uh, at, at the time that I'm talking about it. But my intense love of, of a season is in this is a really, really masterful season is going to go downhill really, really quickly. So I, I guess there, there's that as well. I like Palau, but, but I like Palau just for the concept of it rather than the season itself. Um, but I mean, you know, shoot, there's some fun stuff in Survivor Exile Island. I mean, the whole Kasaya tribe's good. Um, Survivor China's good. We've got we've got some good stuff coming up. So so I guess maybe, but we're entering a weird zone as well, where I think that once we sort of hit Guatemala and above, and especially sort of leading into Micronesia, like everyone's kind of sees, seen it. Like I feel like another reason we do Survivor Historians is to bring to light these earlier seasons that maybe people haven't gone back and watched. 
Mm-hmm. But I feel like we are entering a lot of these Survivor seasons where people have freaking watched them. So I feel like our job of being a cheerleader to earlier seasons is sort of coming at an end. So so now we're just entering in a, sort of an era of Survivor where we're just commenting on it now. Mm, I, I mean, I think I'm I'm actually really excited about to talk about this upcoming group of seasons just because I feel like I feel like the the group of seasons like three, four, and five were really important for you guys to talk about because those were kind of the earlier seasons that were really nobody really talks about and they were pretty much forgotten about recently. Um, and I think this whole group, I would say, after all starts from Vanuatu until maybe even like China in the outer spectrum, like Survivor kind of fell off the map. I mean, nobody was really talking about it anymore. These are seasons that are either like in the middle of a lot of people's rankings or maybe even near the bottom just because you don't remember a lot about them or you remember a lot of negative things about them. So I think, like you like you said, you guys said, there's a lot of interesting nuggets in all of these seasons. So, I mean, I've had a lot of fun with Vanuatu in terms of going through, and I've completely forgotten about a lot of these pre-merged stories and these pre-merged characters and even characters like Scout, who I just completely had written off initially. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to remain the, uh, the cockeyed optimist, and I'm going to look forward to analyzing these seasons in, like, this, uh, this survivor amnesia period that everyone seems to forget about. All right, before we uh, finish up the uh, Legend of Chris Doherty here, uh, I want to give a couple corrections here. A couple people have pointed out that we mentioned that uh, Mia was not married after uh, Survivor, and she is still not married, and we were talking about that famous scout quote about her volcano erupts too much. Well, someone pointed out that Mia is indeed married now, so we were incorrect. I didn't know that Mia had been married, although it was funny. Someone pointed out that she got involved in the world of competitive eating, and she got married after she won a hot a hot dog eating contest, so... We'll just kind of leave the joke to write itself right there. Why all of a sudden she got much more popular on guys when she downed a lot of winners. But, but we'll just say, yes, Mia is indeed married, so we were incorrect in our assumption. Holy crap, Mario. If only there were an impersonation of somebody saying that you are without class in making that joke. That would be awesome. I'll see if I can get Rory on here. <laughs> I'll see if I can get him to do the intro next time. That also, works. That works. Also, minor correction that... that uh, that for that really in, in myself and Mike's direction, uh, Survivor Sucks points out that of course they show uh, occupations in current seasons as well. Uh, that's a total slip up. I think that most occupations just sort of are cover up for actor sort of things, and so I, I really uh, don't notice them as much as I do in the past. But yes, I mean you know Philip Shepard was former federal agent question mark and all that sort of stuff. I do I do I do recall that. So yes yes I apologize. Got that one not quite right. I think there's only so many times you can see pharmaceutical sales rep before you start tuning everything out. Yeah. All right, so we apologize for something that we screwed up. Anything that you'd like to fess up to, Mike? Uh, no, I'm perfect. All right, well done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, okay, one more thing I want to talk about is a couple people have kind of called us to task for saying that Leanne was the leader of you know, the, the Lepevi or the Yassers and that Amy was kind of her second in command. And in fact, one guy on uh, the tribes website left us a really long comment talking about how basically we're just spinning fan fiction here and, and changing the history of survivor based on our own whims. Now, whether Leanne was the leader or Amy is the leader, and it really kind of depends on who you ask. I've seen several different places where it, it, you see different sides of the story. To me, it really doesn't matter because it wasn't a leader-follower type thing. It was To me, it's really more of they were like JT and Steven. They're like a dyad that works together in token teams where they both have their strengths. They both work incredibly well. And 
like one might have been seen more as a leader, maybe one was a spiritual leader. I mean, it's really unfair to say that there was the leader and the follower. I think they just worked really well together. And had they got to the end, I mean, you'd be talking about Leanne and Amy in the same breath as JT and Steven as one of these two great pairings on Survivor. So I think it kind of cheapens both of them to say that there was a leader and a follower. Just I think our point here was just to say that Leanne should get much more credit for how important she was to that whole thing than she does. That's than than the credit she gets. So that's all I think all I'd like to say about that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times in, in a good working dyad like that, you know, someone usually assumes the role of alpha. And alpha doesn't necessarily need to be the decision maker. It's just the sort of the governing body, I guess, in a way. And so, you know, it, with JT and Steven, it, it always seemed like JT was more of the, the outwardly alpha of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston, Robin, Amber like in Survivor All-Stars, I think is, is, in, is another example of that, where Boston Rob assumed the alpha role. But I think that, you know, if Boston Rob wanted somebody to go home, he literally turned to Amber and said, I want this person to go home. And she would kind of look at it and say, all right, that's fine. Let's do it. And they get someone home. But I think that there were times where Boston Rob wanted something and Amber was like, how about this? And he listened to her. Like, you know, it, there, there's, all, there's always that sort of, balance in between a good diet and i think jt and steven worked that way as well you know like as as it goes and i think that leanne and amy were sort of the same way whereas that i think amy was the alpha of the two and so she assumed sort of the the outward role and if amy really wanted something to happen it probably did happen within reason but i think that you know people you know leanne was sort of the calm presence and you know she called a lot of a lot of shots that people don't think realize that she called but i think that they were there and there's evidence to prove it. It's not just, oh, Chris said, even though I do trust what Chris says, um, I think that the evidence is there on the film that you can see. Yeah, and it's not, it hasn't been more prevalent than it is in this episode coming up, just because I feel like this episode really does function as Leanne's swan song, and we'll obviously get into it almost immediately, but this is, it really shows the inner workings of this alliance and how much pull Leanne does have in terms of being on equal footing with Amy on any and all decisions. Yep, yeah, yeah it's, there, it's, there's one scene in this episode, like you said, where they're trying to, you know, Twyla is trying to convince them that she's still on their side. And it's clear just from watching the episode, Amy is looking to Leanne to make a decision on if they tr- still trust her. So it's like, I'll still stand by my, my belief that I think Leanne was the primary decision maker. But again, it's it cheapens both of them to say that there was a leader and a follower because I don't think it was anything like that. Correct. We're hitting the home stretch here of, of Survivor Vanuatu. Um, we've talked in the past, Mario, I know that we're... We're just as uh, victims of recency bias or sort of, you know, past bias or something. You know, I think that this stretch is the best stretch of Survivor episodes in history, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't necessarily say that the end of Vanuatu is the best string of episodes in Survivor history, but it's really good. I can't believe we only have four episodes to talk about on one podcast. We don't have to rush through anything. And it's these four episodes, which are all fantastic. I'm very excited about this. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say it's. It's also really nice when you take a look at these seasons on paper. If you go to like their Wikipedia pages and you see like, oh, Leanne, Amy, Julie. Okay, they just get pagong, like picked off one by one by one. But there's so much inner workings in all of these episodes that it's not so clear cut. And this is this is a really big time where characters like Twyla really get fleshed out. I would I would almost, almost posit that this last stretch of episodes becomes the Chris and Twyla show. Yeah. Yeah, Scout almost disappears. I, I noticed that when I was watching today. Scout kind of disappears from this point in the season. All right. Uh, here we go. Let's get going. Although, before we get into the final 
four episodes of Vanuatu. Let's not forget we have uh, six women left and Chris. Chad is gone. So it's just Chris against the uh, women. And I have a little sound clip from an episode here. Uh, let me play this. This is Chris's exact quote from uh, this is uh, the beginning of uh, the Leanne episode. So I will play it here. Well, that's great. That's just fucking great, man. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? Where's the real pretty shit now, man? You finished. Man, game over, man. It's game over. All right, uh, so there we have Chris in his famous game over, game over, man speech. Uh, what the fuck are we gonna do now? That's there you go. So that, <laughs> this is will lead us in perfectly into his the situation facing him in uh, Vanuatu. Though mm-hmm. so, uh, he he does not. As soon as they hit the beach, right back from tribal council, he's uh he's starting to wheel and deal. He basically kind of throws Twilight Scout pseudo under the bus. Uh, by basically throwing out to the younger women and Amy and Leanne that that Scout was the one to really implement this whole let's get rid of Eliza thing to him and Chad the previous episode. And I do have to point out, just from a historical point of view, one of the interesting things is that the audience at the time, at this point, you know, they're building up in the intro, will the women turn on each other? Will Chris, can Chris save himself? Like, they had done that for eight seasons leading up to this, and it was almost always BS that it never happened. Like, will Chris be able to save himself? So it's the audience would have been very cynical that Chris ever would have been able to save himself. So it's kind of funny that they're hinting in the recap to this episode that, you know, Chris is going to burn the women and all this stuff. So it, like at the time, the audience would have said, yeah, whatever. Thank you, Survivor. So that's why this episode has even more had even more of an impact than you think it would have, because people were so jaded at the time to thinking, that Survivor misleads you with the editing, when in this case they actually didn't. They set it up perfectly, and what they said was going to happen actually does happen for once. It's kind of interesting that way. It's brilliant storytelling, and it's a layer of complexity. I think you mentioned it earlier that I feel like they don't trust modern audiences to sort of stick with something like this. Because if Survivor Vanuatu were shown today, the editing would be completely different. And I think that you know, Chris's rise would have been a little bit more telegraphed than it was now. I mean, yeah. the clues were there. And what you love about a rewatch, and especially a rewatch of these old seasons, is that the clues are there and you can see it, but they don't hit you over the head with it. And you're absolutely right. They build up a lot of these false, you know, hopes and, and sort of, you know, misdirection stuff. But it's like they didn't quite really do it this time. They, they, they just laid stuff out and said, mm-hmm. all right, watch what happens. And we got to watch what happens. Although I will say that the reason, another reason why I was thinking why I love Survivor Vanuatu so much is that this is, again, this is a season that is teaching you how to play Survivor. And this season shows you the danger of leaving one person on a Pagonged tribe left to, to just stick around. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this episode, especially for Amy and Leanne, is like a textbook example of how to not handle your alliance members. Yeah. On any sort of occasion. I mean, again, we'll talk to it almost immediately following, but they're they're basically right now the position that they're in is they feel like they have all the control and they feel like, especially Scout and Twyla, have absolutely no power. So they can treat them however they want and be honest to them about what their actual feelings are and what their plans are because there's nothing they can do, which, of course, we know is not very true at all. Right. And Chris starts sort of he doesn't set everything in motion. Obviously, this has got to get set in motion, not by Chris. But Chris starts a bunch of wheels by his dishing right after Tribal Council that you brought up earlier, Mike. And what I love about this, and this is the danger of leaving one person left from a Pagonged tribe in with a tribe of this dominant tribe that's left, 
is that he basically kind of calls out Twilight and Scout, and he's telling the complete truth, yeah. right? Because when you're only one person left, you have absolutely nothing to lose. You might as well just lay your cards out on the table, and that is precisely what Chris does because he literally has nothing to hide or lose at this point. And so, you know, when he does that, the pot starts to get stirred. And I love Twyla. I mean, bless Twyla. We're going to say a lot about her. I'm a, I like Twyla. She's just not a particularly good survivor player. And it all really the whole thing comes crashing down right here where Chris comes back to camp. He's like, Scout and Twyla are selling all you girls out. They're, they they totally had me and Chad in one of an alliance. And so the girls go to Twyla and say, Twyla, were you working with Scout and Chris? And Twyla's like, hell no. And then the girls press her a little. And Twyla, of course, her next defense is, Scout did it. It was all Scout's fault. She immediately sells out her number one ally, which is a great Twyla move. So it really, it all kind of comes crashing down from here. Right. And what's funny is that Chris is, is basically telling the truth. He's telling the truth to them, saying, yeah, Scout and Twyla approached us, you know, see if we can flip the game around. And, you know, Leanne even says to the camera, she says, you know, Chris has got his back against the wall. He'll say anything. So I don't really believe him, but I'll go corroborate the story anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what's and what's great is that she does, and then if she find, you know, Twyla doesn't lie about it, and then, you know, she figures out that it's the truth. Chris was telling the truth. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think from the beginning of this episode, we really see Leanne's side of the story. I mean, Leanne is the one to really lead this charge. I believe she's the only one that goes to Twyla to talk about her, and then right before the reward challenge, we get a confessional from her saying, like, this is a sign that the girls are all turning on each other, and she basically, like, says... You know, Twyla and Scout are pretty much screwed. So even from, like, the beginning of the episode, before any sort of challenges occur, these women are already feeling like, well, we, we like Chris better than we like certain Alliance members. And that's, uh, that's certainly foreboding for what's going to happen over the next 40 minutes or so. One of the things that comes up a lot in Vanuatu is who gets the credit for why things happen the way they do. And this is going to come up a lot in this episode where... People think Chris doesn't get enough credit. People think Chris gets too much credit. People think Twyla should have gotten more credit. One thing that I think gets lost in a lot of analysis of Vanuatu is Leanne and Amy really play it poorly as well. There's just so many variables why things happen the way they do. And yeah, it's just, let's not forget that Leanne and Amy make a lot of blunders here in this episode. It's it's very similar to the to the Lisa blunder. It's that they say like one wrong thing or they do one wrong thing and then to them it's kind of like they they fall down the ranks in their eyes and for right, and they're trying to, you know, in their minds, they're probably trying to like take out the, you know, any sort of threats to their power right now, but they don't realize that there's a chance that those on the bottom might uh, might join up against them. Yep, you have to keep the end sight in mind here. I mean, obviously, when we were watching it for the first time, we clearly didn't know the end game of this uh, season, but. One of the dangers of having one person left on on a on a tribe that has been basically eliminated is that they can slip in through the cracks. Now, usually, what happens, and and you know, people have seen this season and other seasons where this happens, and one of the ways to shore up the gaps is, yeah, you maybe you use that one person for a vote once, and then you can kind of chop them out later. But the whole thing is, is that this is a very intricate downfall of the women's alliance, especially in this episode. And it's very intricate because it doesn't just falter or crack or sort of go through a minor power change this episode. It completely disintegrates. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of factors that go into it. So Mar- when Mario, you're saying, you know, who gets the credit? Who should get the credit? This is one where a lot of things needed to happen in a certain way yeah. in order for this to work. And they did, which was great. And, you know, it's, it starts the next day where, where Twyla basically says, yeah, 
Scout had something. So then Amy and Leanne are talking with Scout, and Scout's like, well, you know, I don't feel super secure with you guys anymore. And they were like, yeah, you're out of the final four, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. And Scout's so like, we, yeah. Scout's like what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally right, Jay. It's like a, it's, this episode's like a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. Like, just so many things, you know, like, because Twyla said that, then they do this, and because they said that, now Scout does this, and it all just kind of culminates into one final act of the betrayal of Leanne. Yeah. But it just backs up something we've said in other seasons, that it's not just one person playing in a season. No, there's never been a time when one person just controls every single thing that happens in a game. There's so many different variables, and that's the one thing with Vanuatu. You, you can't just call this the Chris show because there's so many other things that happen here that he, he really had nothing to do with at the start. It just kind of – he just latches on later as an opportunist. And again, that's not default, Chris. I'm not taking away from his win. That's just the way that Survivor works. To speak to something that Chris says at Final Tribal Council, and it's going to start here. Chris says something, and it's totally like a, a, a Chris Final Tribal Council sweet talk bullshitty sort of answer, which is great. But he does hit on something that I think is true, where he says that I am here in the jury and you are all there. You all have some some incredible quality about you Mm -hmm. that you probably had too much of. And I don't. And I just saw the money. And that's why I'm here and you're there. And it's this this thing that it's sort of been beat out of modern survivor, but it does rear its ugly head every once in a while. It was where Leanne, I think that she's just got a a streak of honesty in her. And, and, you know, Mm -hmm. she wanted to tell Scout like. Yeah, you know, Scott, we had a Final Four deal, and now we've replaced you with Julie. Like, a lot of people who are more modern um, fans of the game would probably look at this episode and be like, you stupid idiot, why are you telling her she's not in the Final Four? And the answer is, yeah, it's not a smart move. It really isn't a smart move at all. But in a lot of earlier seasons, a lot of times people feel the need to tell other people the truth. Like, yeah, we're going to vote you out tonight. Yeah, and again... Yeah, this. And it's like, that's something that Leanne has in her. You know, she just felt like she had to be honest with Scout there. And I was going to point out, I don't think you can criticize her as being a bad player. That's not really a game-ending move. That's just, I'm so confident I'm going to be in the Final Four and you're going to be on the jury. I think you would respect the honesty. It's just one of those confidence things. It's a confidence thing. It's also, I mean, it is a bad play. I mean, you, you can't just say, oh, well, it's not a bad play. It's a confidence thing. It's a bad play, but it's not as monumentally horrific a play as anything else. Because I think you're right. There's, a, there's, it, Leanne just did not see how she would not be in the final, or you know, in the final four. So mm-hmm. I think she's confident in saying that move. And and B, I think it's just, it's just a part of her. She just, she has to do it. You know, yeah. It's not a matter of. Of I, I I shouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. She just is like I need to do this. It's it's just part of who she is. Yeah, and I just also, want, go ahead. I was going to say there's also a certain point when you're playing Survivor of like where your mind kind of shifts from get or trying to juggle between getting out the threats and also about managing jury votes. And Liam probably thought you know Scout seems like this very reserved, almost conservative older woman. This is a nice way to like be able to relate to her and be able to remind her of the relationship that we have. It's clearly was just a, a, a very gross miscalculation at that point in the game. And again, from Leanne's point of view, there's no way in your mind that Eliza is going to team up with Twyla and Scout because they hate each other. Right. So that's, that's I mean, from Leanne's thinking, you can see why she would think that. Like, I got Julie, I got Leanne, or I, got, I got Eliza. Clearly nothing can go wrong. And from her point of view, it shouldn't have. It's just kind of a fluke that it did. But that's, that's, that's why I'm just defending Leanne a little bit here. You know, I, I get the defense, but... What I love about Vanuatu as well is I'm not going to say it's super modern 
in everything, but this is a season, especially at the end, because the end is confusing. Even to me on a rewatch, a lot of the end is sort of confusing to me. But I guess what's confusing is that it, it has the elements of sort of a very emotional early season of Survivor with a lot of very calculated, more modern uh, aspects to it, meaning that people a lot of times just issued what they were feeling and just sort of went with gameplay or other things like that. And I think that this is, you know, it's another thing where Leanne was like, there's no way that Eliza teams up with Twyla and Scout because they terrorized her the whole time. Mm -hmm. But yet when she was talking about this final four deal, who's Leanne's final four? Her, Amy, Julie, and Twyla, right? Right. It's her, Amy, Twyla, and Julie, and they kicked out Scout. Where the hell is Eliza? (laughs) Eliza was never in anybody's plan. She was never in anyone's plan. And so what's funny is that they were, you know, Eliza hated Twyla and Scout, and Scout and Twyla hated Eliza. But it's like, Eliza knows. Like, the the thing about Eliza is that, yeah, she may be annoying at camp, but Eliza is not stupid. And Eliza knows that even though she's friends with Amy and friends with Julie, and, you know, very on, on friendly terms, she knows that she's not part of their plans. I mean, she knows. And the thing is, is that they never took a step to include her in any of that. I mean, yeah. I think that they were like her friend, and we're like, oh, yeah, and by the way, we're totally voting you out at six. It'll be like Nalia. You'll just be happy that you got sixth place. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I won't say it's exactly beat for beat what happened with the Road 2 floor, but it's another textbook example of how to treat the players on the fringe. Mm-hmm. Right. And Eliza does not come up here. We've just spent like five minutes sort of tangentially talking about this one scene with Amy and Leanne and Twyla that then shifts to Amy, Leanne, and Scout. Eliza is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. And yet she is going to play such a role in this. And then one of the main reasons is because they do not they not only are they not taking care of Scout by saying, yeah, Scout, you're out of the four. But, you know, you can clearly see they don't even bring Eliza up. She's not even in the picture at all. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the reward challenge. This is a one of the more famous reward challenges in Survivor history. That's the so good. Chris and Lori Doherty show here. <laughs> Where so- this is the one. Yeah, they get there, they get to the challenge, and it's the like the equivalent of the Outback Internet Cafe. You win a one-hour chat with your loved one over the internet. I will tell you, though, this was not as fun as the Outback Internet Cafe, I will say. <laughs> you well, just miss, yeah, you miss uh, peas and carrots, don't you? Well, this one, has, this one has a webcam, which, I mean, I wish it was an all-stars, because I would have wanted to see what Jenna Lewis did with a webcam. <laughs> Twyla also reminds me, like, there, there's a stat that you can look up, and I'm going to get the stat wrong, and I'm sure there's a different stat, so, you know, people don't you know, jump down my throat. But, you know, I saw something where, you know, they're, they're showing statistics about America, right? And they have something like, you know, 70% of Americans have a television in their house. And you're sitting there going like, oh, you know, 70% of Americans have a TV. But then you stop and think, you're like, who the fuck are the 30% of people who don't have a TV in their house? There can't be that many hipsters on planet Earth. <laughs> and like, they have that same thing, like 60% of Americans have a personal computer or, or a laptop in their house. And you're like, who are the 40%? Well, Twyla's one. Because <laughs> she gets up to that computer and she's like, you're going to have to type because I don't know how to type on a keyboard. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because initially Jeff markets it as like an email challenge. Like just like the Outback, like, okay, you're going to have like a one minute little email hello before the challenge. And then Twyla comes up and says, I don't know how to type. And then Jeff just goes, oh, don't worry, we have a webcam. Yeah, it's, 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 it's an email. It's going to be like an IM chat. So you get ASL out of the way and then you talk to your... Uh, <laughs> Then you talk to your loved one, but then he's like, yeah, there's a webcam. So it's like, dude, instant upgrade. This is awesome. Now, at this point, I noticed in the season where Julie keeps wearing Chris's hat. 
Mm-hmm. And there's also, I think, later where Amy's wearing Chris's hat. It's just one of those things I always find it interesting that I think Chris was closer to those girls than you really saw in TV, especially Amy. Just one of those interesting things. I just uh, a little comment I noticed when I was watching. This is where Julie first starts wearing Chris's hat. I think Amy was close to everybody. I mean, I think it's part of the complexity of Amy where, you know, I think that she Amy to me strikes me after watching this uh, and not just having the the initial uh, thoughts that Amy is this like, you know, sociopathic ice queen. Amy is super empath, you know, empathetic. She likes to, I think, you know, interact with people. That's what she does, right? I mean, she chastised Twyla for it earlier in the season. So, you know, it's, it, it's, I don't know if it's a matter of closeness, but it's just a matter of, I think that, you know, they were more friendly around camp than the show lets on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've often thought that Chris and Julie might have been the tightest pair out of anybody out there. That's, that could be very true as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see that. Okay, so what's with all the loved ones? Um, let's see, I got Leanne's best friend, Eliza's mom. And then Julie, this is an interesting one. Julie's friend, was it Justin? Well, it's, it's weird. I thought Hayden Moss only came on to Survivor in uh, season 27. <laughs> oh, that's good. Now, yeah. now, now, a lot of people, I was making some jokes about this on the internet the other day, that, that Justin is officially the first guy who got friend-zoned by Julie Barry on national TV, which has got to be embarrassing. But then some people corrected me. They said, well, I get a lot of gay vibes from Justin, so... Maybe he's not some guy that just got friend zoned. I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to leave that up to the, the experts on this one. Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. not not even that, that, but they never touted him as like a boyfriend of some sort. Just her yeah. friend, friend, friend zoned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and it's interesting. I mean, we we go through like Scout's partner Annie and Amy's girlfriend Chrissy, and then of course Lori. And but they have these like. You could probably tell something's a little off from the beginning about these webcam conversations, considering the like the generic settings that the loved ones are in front of. Like uh, Leanne's best friend is in front of like a map of the world, <laughs> and Justin's in front of the American flag. Yeah. Look, you know, we at the time you didn't catch it. I mean, now that when, it's one of those when you know what's happening, you look back on it and you're like, oh, that is so cheesy. <laughs> But, you know, what they showed us, at least, you know, at home, I mean, we literally got like a 20 second snippet of the, the of each person, you know, and, and you know that in real time, because when they when they zoom out and they, they reveal. OK, so the secret is, is that all the loved ones are secretly on the island and they're filming like this webcam against a generic background that they're redressing in between contacting each person. So I, what, I don't know what the downtime was in between each one, like like a, a minute or two for, you know, the producers to quickly like you know, throw up some redressing of the little set that they're there. But like, you know, uh, for us on the TV, we don't have a whole lot of time to process this. It's like 20 seconds a piece or 10 seconds a piece. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Mike. Like when you look back on it now, you're like, Oh dude, this, Oh my God. Like, they're totally did, on the Island. <laughs> yeah. Who, who does a, like a broadcast in front of the map of the world? Unless you're like the chief from where in the world is Carmen San Diego. <laughs> Dude, she was the best, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Lynn Thigpen or whatever her name was. So that was so that that explains why Lori Doherty was in front of Rockapella. Dude. <laughs> but I was actually gonna make that joke when, when Chris wins and he jumps down to his family, like one of the members of Rockapella is his family, like holy shit. <laughs> that oh, one guy, like ahead. he like looks at the camera, I'm like, it's the thin guy from Rockapella. You're jumping ahead. No spoilers. We're oh, the only wow. podcast that discusses Rockapella. <laughs> All right. All right. So Eliza wins the reward, which is a overnight uh, visit from her mom. And this is the one where all the loved ones finally come out, right? 
Yes, they mm-hmm. come out, you know, and, and Jeff has the whole thing where Eliza wins the reward. It was the reward was basically trivia questions about past challenges, which seems more awesome than it is. It was actually kind of boring. And uh, the tiebreaker was Eliza and Julie, and they'd basically list off the um, what were the items that were uncovered during the memory challenge and the early uh, uh, reward challenge thing. And, you know, Julie, of course, ends the suspense by not writing a fucking thing down. <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> oh, awesome, sweet. So then Eliza wins and Jeff's like, okay, here's an hour-long email chat with your mom. Or would you rather have her here? Oh, it's the big reveal, of course, is that we see this, that all the loved ones in front of the generic backdrops were actually on the island doing this, you know, cheapo webcam thing. So everyone gets to come out and say hi to their loved one for a few seconds. Now, what's interesting, and this is, this is something that caused a lot of controversy back in the day at the time, a lot of people might find this interesting, is that mm-hmm. they show everyone, you know, hugging and kissing, but they do not show... What is it? Uh, Amy and Chrissy and mm-hmm. Scout and her partner. They will not show gay people kissing on TV. The, the camera very conspicuously cuts away right before they kiss on both instances. It's just, and I remember a lot of people kind of raised a big stink about that at the time, and for good reason. But you think Survivor has been very progressive over the years with stuff like gays on TV and stuff. But like in this instance, they really weren't. Because if you watch for it, you'll notice it every time they cut away right before the kiss on those two couples. Yeah. It's very true. Yep. I have, nothing, right. I have nothing more to say about it. I mean, you're, well, you're exactly right. Speaking of lesbian right. encounters, let's yeah. move on to Eliza's mom. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're doing the, the horrible segues again in this podcast? Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, the only other thing I remember about this is, is uh, Leanne jumping up and down, uh, being super adorable when her friend comes out, because that's totally what Leanne would do. It was great. And then Eliza's mom gets to come back to camp, and, you know, they're they're feeding her. And then Eliza's mom has this funny list. It, it's the funny thing where she's just like, I'm worried about Eliza yeah. out here. And then she's like, I'm worried about bug bites. I'm worried about her starving. I'm worried about her flossing. And yeah. I'm worried about, you know, dangerous Ebola. animals and diseases, yeah, Ebola. Ebola, Ebola virus. <laughs> but it's like, dude, I could totally see like my mother or, you know, something like that coming up. I'm worried about diseases and Ebola virus. But like, I love that in between Ebola virus and, you know, starving and parasites is flossing <laughs> yes uh and then she ends up with like talking about all the different creatures in the sea that can bite her which i mean fun fact eliza's mom is actually cousins with rob's back nick so she was probably a little worried about that <laughs> well at one point i know the mom says eliza's like uh yeah they don't like me they say i talk too much and eliza's mom just laughs you know she laughs and says oh you're a little annoying huh <laughs> <laughs> i know so you're a little much to take, huh? I never noticed that. Hmm. Imagine that. Yeah, good thing you're not a teenager anymore. I certainly never noticed it then. Uh. All right, so this is where they're back at camp, and this is where the shit kind of hits the fan, where, mm-hmm. you know, Eliza's mom is back at camp talking and annoying everybody. And this is where Leanne goes to scout and asks about the vote last night. And Scout, of course, denies it. Oh, no, that was all Chad. Chad, that was Chad's plan. I was never going to do anything. And, and this is where Scout kind of tells us in a confessional, you know, I came out here intending to play with morals and integrity. And she's like, I guess the game has now been reduced to lie, cheat, and steal. So she just lies her ass off right there. And she blames it all on Chad. And, and she's a much better liar than Twyla. So she actually convinces Leanne and Amy about this for now. For, for now, the, 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 the uh, suspicion is off Scout for a little bit. I mean, you know, this is 
It's setting the table. I mean, they keep pressing Scout, and you know they 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 told her that she's out of the Final Four, and then they keep pressing her for information. It's like, you know, it's it's bad alliance management. I mean, that's the problem with having a successful alliance that has five to six people in it. It's like you have to juggle a lot of things, and they clearly aren't really hearing the needs of Scout. I mean, we know as an audience that Scout, for a couple of uh, vote outs now, has sort of looked for a way to sort of get out Amy and Leanne from power. And uh, they just kind of come over and they're very arrogantly pushing their weight around. And Scout, I think, has just had it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Scout's quote right here, Vengeance is mine, saith the jury. So Scout has now just been informed, you're no longer in anybody's endgame plans. And Scout is basically, fuck that, I'm going to make my own endgame plan. So this is where it all kind of starts coming crashing down. So anyway... Um, the rest of Eliza's mom's incident or uh, stay at the camp's pretty event free. They they make little items that she's going to take back, and then she of course gives Eliza the shirt off her back right near the end, which was you know, I think that's standard fare if a loved one's going to go there. It's like if you're going to come bring clothes, you have to kind of leave without your clothes because they need it more than you do. Yeah, though Scout was having uh, some more deep down feelings. Uh, she yelled like at the end, like she came and stripped down to her panties and she left only in her bra. She's our kind of woman. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I just want someone to like literally go, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> what, what is that? <laughs> Scout speaks in parable. She speaks in parable, but like, that's not even a parable. That's like a broken parable. Like, it's just. <laughs> All right. So here. So now this is the big scene that will have immediate repercussions for the whole rest of the season where Lynn and Amy now pull Twyla aside and they ask her the truth about the Chad and Chris stuff. Like, were you guys really in alliance last episode? And Twyla gets all super defensive and, you know, she's just being Twyla. She takes everything personally. She gets very kind of upset. And then uh, Amy or Leanne says, I don't trust you anymore. And this is where Twyla says the one thing that is going to haunt her for the entire rest of the season. It's going to take over the season. It's going to take over the reunion show. And it's kind of interesting that a lot of people forget this was such an important part of Vanuatu because this was anything, the only thing people talked about towards the end of the season where Leanne says, or Twilight says, I promise I'm with you and I promise on my son. And you know how much I love that boy. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah that, there will be fallout from that. Yeah. A lot. A lot. <laughs> I I mean, it's, significant, it's significant that Jeff says at the reunion show that like this is the biggest, namely like the biggest lie since Johnny Fairplay. And I know that was only two seasons ago, but it's like it's as significant in terms of like how it shifts the, everyone's perception of Twilight for the rest of the game. Well, yeah. we'll get to Jeff in the reunion later, but <laughs> because holy crap! But you're right. This this will play out, and I actually have a lot to say about this, but but. I'm going to save it for later on. But yes, you're right. This is where Twyla basically says, swear on my son. I'm with you. And then, of course, Twyla, not realizing the gravity of her words, now tells us, you know, maybe if I win a million dollars, God will forgive me. And then she starts giggling, which clearly her view of this whole conversation is different than everyone else's. And we'll see that later. Mm -hmm. All right. It's time for immunity here. This is where Julie... Chris's best friend in the world, of course. Again, if you watch, you'll notice how close those two are. They're together all the time. And Julie's like, you have to win immunity, Chris. You're the only guy left. It's six girls and you. And Chris is like, all right, I got to win tonight. And then we cut to the immunity. And oh, no, Chris gives the quote. I'm going to win immunity tonight. Guaranteed. Doherty's going to win immunity. That's a fact. Doherty's going to win. That's a fact. 
That's the the interesting thing. I mean, we we obviously experience a lot. We kind of binge a lot of these episodes before we record them. But uh, something I've really picked up on in terms of the way Chris delivers things is that he's really centric on facts. Like <laughs> when whenever he, he says a lot of things, it's always like that's a guarantee or that's a fact. And even like at the end of the the challenge, it's a really interesting thing where like Chris is like, "I'm going home tonight, Lori," and Lori says, yeah. "No, that's not a fact." So it's interesting to think about, like, how much Chris and Laurie debate back and forth about, like, what is a fact and what is not a fact. He also refers to himself in the third person a lot, whether it's Chris or Doherty. He says Chris a lot towards the end. But this, I think this is one of the parts where he says Doherty. Doherty's going to win. Okay, so the immunity challenge here is that, and, and the big twist revealed is he's like, well, you're going to run it in pairs. Here's your partners. And finds out that the loved ones haven't totally left yet. And that they're all back. So then they get another couple of minutes with their loved ones. And the challenge is, is that the loved ones are blindfolded. The survivors are up on a pedestal. And they need to basically navigate their blindfolded loved one through a minor little obstacle course to retrieve three bags of puzzle pieces to which they need to bring back. And then they take off their blindfolds, assemble a puzzle. So basically the whole collar puzzle that is usually run in a big group is now just a, a pair sort of challenge. And... Uh, we get fun stuff in this in this challenge. We don't need to go over it uh, in great detail, but I think the the uh, sort of the the highlights here. I mean, uh, Amy and Amy and her girlfriend Chrissy win, and they win pretty handily. But you know what's fun is that you know you see uh, you see Chris yelling at Lori to get pieces, and he's super desperate and yelling and getting hoarse near the end. And then another fun little bit is that you can see adorable Leanne, like she clearly is losing like really badly near the end. And so she see her like literally just tell her friend like just sit down it's okay yeah. it's over <laughs> let's have yeah, a chat she she burned out she burned out real bad Terry <laughs> yeah someone pointed out to me it's just the funniest thing is the the dichotomy between Amy's behavior in this challenge and Chris's behavior you know Amy just yelling I love my girl I love my girl and Chris basically having a coronary he's yelling so hard <laughs> like I, I don't want to do an impression because it's going to blow out my voice for the rest of this podcast but yeah just. Picture Chris at his most animated and most desperate and hoarse. That's just him and this screaming, Lori, go faster! Oh, God. And then Eliza's mom is also kind of wandering off. She's, like, fondling the wooden poles. So they, they, they fall pretty much out of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, they fall out of it. And, you know, obviously the success of this challenge is sort of being able to listen to the person's voice and being able to give decent directions. And it's like, you know, Amy wanted to win this challenge. I mean, very clearly she did, but you know, she, she and her partner, they remained calm and sort of upbeat on everything. And Chris was, you know, very frantic. And I think Lori was picking up on that. You can sort of see her being frantic, especially when they were trying to get the puzzle together. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, cause Chris was saying, I mean, Chris was like, my ass is on the line. If I don't win, I'm going home because all the machinations haven't happened yet. And Chris is looking at the looking at the math here. Like all the men have been picked off. I'm the last men left. If I don't win immunity, I'm going home. And he basically tells Lori. And, you know, I, I think that he's right when he says so. But at the same time, when you're trying to frantically work together to solve a puzzle, probably shouting, I'm going home tonight if we don't win is maybe not the most calming thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Lori just seems like the type, if you watch their interaction, that she has seen chris be like this a lot and it stresses her out this is just kind of chris's personality sometimes yeah but 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 chris and Lori, they're adorable and they try to get the puzzle together but amy and chrissy just beat him out and amy has won immunity yeah and this is one of the great things i so many things i love about chris doherty and this is one of the greatest things that using his fiance as a weapon now 
Yeah. Where he starts mm-hmm. building it up to get sympathy, you know, saying as loud as he can, I'm going home tonight, babe. And she's like, no, you're not. And he's like, I am. I'm going home, babe. That's a fact. It's, it's a, a fact, fact, It's babe. a fact. It's a fact. <laughs> That's a fact, babe. And it comes up later in the reunion show that this is why Chris won Vanuatu. This is why he wasn't voted out that night, because they felt so bad that, you know, Chris not only lost immunity, but he blamed Lori for it. Like, if you listen, he's saying, uh, I'm sorry we lost, which is basically Chris saying, I'm sorry you lost. So Lori is ready to have a breakdown. And at the reunion, Amy even says, that's the only reason we saved him that night. We didn't want Lori to feel bad. So, like, just one of the great things, great slash horrible things about Chris, if you want to phrase it that way, that he just totally sells his poor fiance out and makes makes her have a nervous breakdown just so he has a better chance of, of getting through the vote that night. Right. Because, yeah. again, one of the machinations in the Rube Goldberg machine is that they they can totally vote Chris out here. I mean, they could totally vote Chris out. And it's not I mean, Chris obviously is, is working up the sympathy with with him and Laurie at the challenge. But it's not like Chris has some conversation with somebody on the beach that makes them say, you know what, Chris, I'm not going to vote you out tonight. You know, it's just this. And then it's Amy and Leanne coming back to camp going, you know, maybe we don't need to get rid of Chris tonight. We can get Yeah, that's poor Lori. Lori seemed like a nice woman. Let's let's not do that to Lori. You know, we're girls. We have to think of our girls. And that's so now Lori is effectively one of their alliance. Yeah, I I guess Chris got really lucky that like one of his coworkers didn't come or something. (laughs) If it was another man, like forget it. He would have been gone. If it was that guy from Rockapella, that's his nephew. Oh yeah. The Rockapella guy came out there. I don't think Vanuatu ends the same way. Well, the Rockapella guy also would have shoved everyone else to the side, so maybe he would have won. <laughs> yeah, and he would have sang beautifully. <laughs> he would have beatboxed after they won. Yeah. <laughs> but again, uh, this I don't really have much more to say, but this is something I just feel can't be brought up enough why Chris won Vanuatu. It's because he sold out his fiance Lori. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, and, and, and Amy being the empathetic person she is, I mean, they give it to Kim and Amy's like, oh, I don't know if Chris deserves to go yet. And, you know, it, and, it's, and it's Julie inserting herself now because now Julie has inserted herself into this power final four thing, right? And they're all just basically like, you know, Eliza is extra. We can get rid of her. It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just realized Eliza's annoying. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess, huh? I guess she is. <laughs> I'm sure it was Scout again being like just slipping in like, <laughs> how about Eliza? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we get back to camp and this is where, yeah, they start thinking, does Chris really deserve to go home now? And uh, this is where Julie goes up to Chris and Julie says, you know, you're not going home tonight. People think you deserve it. And Chris is like, what the fuck? I don't even do anything. <laughs> He's like, yeah, Chris, what's his quote? He's like, it's like being in a tornado. He goes, I don't even have to do anything to change the game. There's six women. They'll change it themselves. This is where I think the the mastery of Chris sort of comes in is that a lot of people sort of try to look at, you know, the things Chris did to affect the game or things Chris said to affect the game. Chris is going to make decisions and Chris is going to make moves. These things are going to happen. But I think Chris's finest moves in this game or finest decisions that he make is the decision to just shut up and let things happen which is really hard. And, you know, a lot of times when we try to think of, you know, great survivor winners, we try to think of somebody who, you know, always is in control the whole time. But Chris knew that if he didn't try to actively be so out there with this, maybe, a you know, a break will occur because, I mean, he's screwed. He's literally just screwed. He doesn't have immunity and he is the last man left, you know, or the last LaPeavy member left of this game. Like he is, he is dead to rights. 
And he recognized that and basically watched and saw an opening and saw that he had a chance and then worked with it. I also think it's interesting. It's good to point out here that obviously Chris, not always a popular winner among the female viewers, probably because every single confessional from here on out is, oh, my God, women are crazy. So, yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna actually gonna bring that up. So, I mean, uh, well, obviously, like over the next few episodes, as you just pointed out, he he almost kind of counts down, being like, "Well, it's crazy being here with five women," or like, <laughs> "Man, I have to be here with three women." Like, I I hope I can make it. I was, uh, I mean, do you guys think that the producers were kind of trying to throw Chris under the bus a little bit with that, or do you think they were just like making it part of the story and not necessarily? I mean, I think we kind of have a hypersensitive culture nowadays, but I feel like if those quotes were shown nowadays, like, oh forget God. about it. Chris would be, like, flamed <laughs> even more than he was when Vanuatu originally aired. Yeah, can you imagine his Twitter page or, like, his Facebook page? Again, not that Chris actually owns a computer or knows how any of this stuff works. He's told me that himself, so I know. I'm fine making that joke, but can you imagine if he did? The ire of all the viewers that take offense at his comments on his Twitter page every week? Yeah. I mean, I, I I definitely can see it, you know. Uh, but it, this is a, this is an interesting little bit here, and it, it's interesting to watch this thing with Julie because Julie is another enigma. Like you mentioned in in the previous podcast, Mario, that you know Julie could be one of the best players out there. After watching the whole season, I'm going to disagree and say yeah. no, Julie's yeah. not one of the best players out there. But Julie is. I feel like during Vanuatu, Julie doesn't know how to play Survivor, but Julie by not by just being Julie is 90% better than most people that go out there anyway. Yeah. She has good social bonds with just about everybody. She has good social bonds. And like I said, she's dangerous and all that sort of stuff. But like Julie is good friends with Chris here. And it's like, she's, she's telling Chris all that's happening in the game, but she's not, Julie's not going to like, she's not fighting for Chris here. Right. Like Julie votes for Eliza. She's like on the other side. Right. Yeah. And it's like, she's just telling Chris what's happening. She's like, yeah, Eliza's going to go home. You're not going home. But, you know, if it were Chris, I mean, I'm sure they'd have a conversation where Julie's like, yeah, Chris, it's it's just going to be you. You're going home. Like, she's just narrating to Chris. But the problem is, is that she's narrating to Chris. And now Chris knows that he's not going home. Yeah. So he's going to have a little bit of life to go around and look around and see what's going on. Yeah. Julie has a nice streak that, that sabotages her. Yep, exactly. And you do get to see that. And that's going to come into play a little bit later. But, yes, Julie informs Chris that he's not going home. So he gets a nice breath of fresh air. And then so he's now going to poke around camp instead of just sit there and wait for his fate. And uh, some good things come his way. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like Twyla, essentially. I mean, Twyla does a, I mean, Twyla, this is when the whole idea of Twyla being the one to mastermind this really is the, it's the, like, evidence A behind it is, uh, uh, you know, Twyla has this kind of surreptitious conversation with Chris while they're picking up wood or something, basically saying, like, you can change the game. You have the keys, but you haven't realized it. All I need to do is talk to someone. And Chris is like, Scout? Uh, Scout? <laughs> Sarge? Who? Chad? Rory? <laughs> I yeah. love that conversation because it's, it's literally like the fourth guest. That's always like my favorite thing because Chris, she's like, you have the power to change this game. You, you just need to talk to one person. Scout? No. Well, I'm talking to you. Uh, you're already talking to me. Uh, well, I'm here. Who? Jeff? <laughs> Zoe? And then finally he goes, Eliza. And then Twyla, she doesn't even say yes or confirm it. She just kind of gives him a look and then says, you have the power to change it. You know what to do. What's interesting is that is such an odd scene to be in the in the season. Uh, if if Vanuatu came out now, I'm not sure they would show that scene. Yeah. 
because yeah. they're so intent on showing the winner has to be the one controlling everything that it's totally their story. What's interesting, I mean, and this is the scene that Chris has taken an inordinate amount of flack for over the years, where people say he's not a good player. Twyla had to show him how to play Survivor. It's it's just a fascinating scene because it's like the one time in the entire second half of the season where Twyla appears smart and Chris appears not smart. It's an interesting scene. And again, it's one of those, if I was the editor, I might not have put that in there because it, it just, even though you explain how it happens, it makes, it, it looks, it switches the power of who's the better player around. Yeah, but the thing is, is that I don't think it shows much of anything. I mean, I think that it's, it's a reality sort of setting. I mean, I, I said earlier that, you know, I basically took a pen and paper and tried to figure out scenarios that Chris was going to win this game. And one of the scenarios that I kept circling was that Chris had to he had to team up with Scout and Twyla, but he had to either get Julie or Eliza on his side. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was looking like Julie is just sort of passively just playing. And I was like, so so basically he has to have a voting block with himself, Scout and Twyla, and Eliza. And, like, it's as you said, Mario, that is super unlikely because Scout and Twyla and Eliza hate each other. Mm-hmm. And so... This is a scene where I feel it's super necessary because Twyla and Sc- – like obviously Leanne and Amy have pissed off Scout. Scout wants to get them out. Like that has been established and Scout is with Twyla. That is also established. And the thing is is that I think they realize they need Eliza. But Scout and Twyla also I think are no dummies in the sense that they know they can't go to Eliza and say, hey, vote with us. Yeah. So now- like when, when Twyla is telling Chris like – I think Chris is not thinking of it right off the top of his head because, you know, Chris has noted and he noted to you, Mario, in interviews afterwards about how nasty Scout and Twyla were to Eliza. And so, you know, he's probably not thinking that they're thinking Eliza. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's probably I mean, it probably crossed his mind, but it probably didn't cross his mind even right then. He's like, oh, you you really want to go vote with Eliza? Holy shit. Really? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. That's a good point. This is something, again, I've pointed out that Chris was not a popular winner over the years. He's took more crap, I mean, about, about, among winners probably as much as anyone than um, as much as Jenna or Amber at the time. And uh, like Chris, that was the number one criticism people used to make about him back in the day. Twyla had to tell him what the strategy was to win. And this is something I had a, an interview with Chris. I'll talk more about my interview at the end of this podcast. But there was a lot of subjects we talked about. And that was one thing I brought up to Chris. Like, a lot of people, that's the biggest criticism of you among hardcore Survivor fans, that Twyla had to tell you how to play. How do you answer that? And Chris, it's interesting, he's like, he never saw it that way. He's like, it just kind of was confusing to him that people would have seen it that way. He's like, here's the deal. Like, Twyla had this, it's, look at it this way. He said, this is the analogy he used. Twyla had this safe. It was full of all this money, like a million dollars in a safe. It was in her house. Twyla had it. But the only problem was Twyla didn't know the combination. So there was nothing she could do to open that. She needed someone who was a better player to help her open that safe. So Chris said, I was the only one out there who had a good relationship with with Leanne, with Amy, with Eliza, with everybody. So she had to go to me because I'm the only one who had the combination to the safe. So he says that's the analogy people should think about when they think of that scene, that Twyla had this giant safe full of money. She needed somebody with a combination, and I was the only person possible who could have opened that safe. I was the, she, I was the person she needed to get that safe open. Right, because they want to break up the power couple of Amy and Leanne. Amy has immunity. They can't include them. So the only other people that Scout and Twyla can include, other than Chris, who's just on the fringe, is either Julie or, or, or Eliza. And, you know, Amy and Leanna basically said that Julie is now in their final four. 
you know, so like they're trusted. So they realize that Eliza is the fringe player, right? But I mean, that's the whole thing is that everyone's looking at this scene. It's like there's no way in hell Scout and Twyla can go up to Eliza and say, little one, vote with us. Yeah. yeah. And she's going to look yeah. at him and say, you know what? Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it, it. Well, it's I think it's also very indicative of how, what the mentality behind alliances was back in those days. I feel like in Modern Survivor and we it was a textbook example with the Kasai tribe. I feel like. Nowadays, it doesn't necessarily matter if you like the person or not. If you vote the same way as them, you're in the alliance, you're good to the end. Whereas, like, back in these earlier seasons, I mean, granted, the Road 4 was a little bit of an exception, but for the most part, like, the people that were in alliances all got along, all liked each other, all, for the most part, respected each other. So I think, just like you brought up, it was it was out of Chris's, you know, realm of possibilities that the, this girl that these two openly hated would want to vote the same way as them. Yep. And that's part of that Rube Goldberg machinations. Like, you know, Amy and Leanne had to basically piss off Scout, which they did. Then, you know, Twyla had to have some interesting conversations, which she did. Then the girls had to kind of come down and say, well, we don't necessarily have to vote for Chris tonight. We could vote for Eliza tonight. Then that happened. Then Twyla approaches Chris and says, dude, if you could get Eliza, we can then turn this game. Mm -hmm. So all of these machinations are sort of coming into play. And now we have the conversation where Chris has to sway Eliza. And, you know, this is a two-way street. Like, first of all, Chris has to convince Eliza to vote with him and Scout and Twyla. And second of all, Eliza has to be brave enough to do it. So, you know, now we're in sort of the final phase of this plan. Yeah, and this was one scene that uh, Chris talked about a lot when I did my interview with him that he really pointed out in the episode is a lot different in real life as how it appeared on TV. In the, in the episode, you see Chris go to Eliza. He goes, you need to vote with us tonight. And Eliza's like, well, it's, it's with Twyla and Scout. I don't trust them. And Chris is like, you have to take this chance. And that's really all you kind of see in the episode. Chris said, when I, when I talked to him, that, that conversation gone on, went on for like half a day to an entire day. I mean, that was, that was not a snap decision on Eliza's part. I mean, they went over that for hours and hours where Chris had to get him, get her to trust him. And basically, the only reason it worked, it really... I mean, Eliza never did trust him or Twilight or Scout. It really just came down to Eliza was going home that night if she didn't do it. And she was the target. So that's the only reason it was out of self-defense. Like, if I want to stay or stick around tonight, I have to take a gamble that this is going to work. So that's one of the things Chris pointed out, that he really never convinced Eliza. She just only did that because it was the only way she was going to stay. Something we never saw, or maybe we did see and I'm forgetting. Did we ever see what Leanne and Amy told Eliza to vote for? I don't think I don't so. Think, I don't think we saw that. Right, because the, they were all voting for Eliza. They were voting Eliza out, right? And so Chris is trying to, you know, and he does say to her in that brief conversation that we saw at least, Mario, that, you know, he's like, you're going home. You know what I mean? I mean, he says it to her, like, you know, the vote is, is going to be on you. Take the chance. And, you know, she's apprehensive about it. But it's like, you know, th- the funny part is, is that, I mean, that's the trump card in this whole thing is that Chris is like, look, fine, don't trust me all you want, but you're going home if you don't do this. Yeah. And he won a lot of brownie points with her when it turned out to be true. When the vote started coming up for Eliza's name that night, that's what convinced her finally. You know, he was telling the truth. So he wins a lot of trust later down the road because of that. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, th- the thing about Eliza is that if you tell the truth with her, with, with her and you get her out of these sticky situations, you'll inherently gain her trust. I mean, that's what ended up eventually with Amy and Leanne and that whole group is once they were kind of able to save Eliza from a couple of votes, she was with them through and through. And then when the exact opposite situation happened and they were targeting her, Chris was the one to kind of 
be her knight in shining armor and save her, and she was like painfully loyal to her until the very end. To him, so, I so if you're following along, we have this string where it all starts with this bad conversation that happens, be, you know, between Scout and Amy and Leanne, and it ends up with Chris convincing Eliza and says, "Look, stick with me, and if you do, you're not going home." And we go to find we go to tribal council, and it's this is I remember being just completely shocked that this happened when it did. This was in my for my money, this is one of the more memorable tribal councils I've ever seen live. Absolutely, and again, I mentioned at the end of last podcast that it's the one episode that I didn't wait up and let my wife my wife watch it with me. I had to see this one the night it aired because this was the pivotal I mean, the pivotal moment of the season involving my favorite character in Survivor history, and it was it turned out to be even better than I expected it. I, that's why I love this episode so much. Yeah, and you and you can count the number of badass moments that Eliza has had on this show <laughs> probably on one hand. Uh, and this is this for me is like the most badass moment that Eliza has ever had with this uh, with what happens when the votes are read. It's a badass <laughs> moment for anybody when votes are read. Like people always talk about, you know, Eliza sort of cements herself as a tribal council legend with facial expressions in Vanuatu, but more more so with facial expressions as a juror in Survivor Micronesia. But mm-hmm. I don't think that Eliza's had a better tribal council moment than this. This is yeah. it. This is amazing. And I wrote about it in the Funny 115, but I don't think I did it justice. And I put it, it's like my number four moment is one of my favorite funny moments in Survivor history. But even my write-up just doesn't do it justice. You have to see it and just look at the little facial expressions to get the, the uh, why this is so badass. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I think the problem also is that I think when people are thinking like the Funny 115, like the funniest things to happen to Survivor, like this isn't funny. I mean, it, it's funny in the sense that it's this nice, fun, I- ironic thing that, you know, Amy looks at Eliza and then Eliza looks at Amy. But like... There, there's a ha ha moment in there. I'm not saying there isn't, but it's just more of like a, oh, that's fucking ice cold right there. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> and I think people are like, that's really number four funniest moment of all time. Like they're not taking yeah. that whole thing. Yeah, and I just it's just one of those I couldn't rank any lower. It has to be high because it's a big important moment. It's just it's an odd one. But I, one thing I have to point out is there's almost no hint that Leanne is going to be the person going home tonight in the episode. Mm-hmm. No one mentions her ever. No. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, you know something big might happen, and if you if you get how the season's working and Amy has immunity, wait, who does Amy have immunity? Yeah, if you know yeah. Amy has immunity, obviously it's going to be Leanne if there's an overthrow, but they don't explicitly mention it, so it's really kind of even doubly surprising when her name comes up. And it's one of those things the editors loved to do back then. They loved to blindside the audience, which is what I loved about them. They blindside the audience, and then they foreshadow it at the beginning because Jeff sort of gets on Leanne slightly because they talk about the challenge and they talk about how, you know, Chris and, and Lori hustling, you know, and, and yelling and, and frantically moving like mad. And he basically says to Leanne, like, you sort of gave up there. Yeah. And she's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel like it was life or death, which, you know, is of course the, you know, GG push right there. Like, yeah, yeah. well, well done Leanne, GGWP. But like, I was going to say, Jay, does the, does the GG confessional count when it's three minutes before you get voted out? Yeah, you can still, I mean, it's not, it's not like the super, you know, three minutes into the episode GG, but like, yeah, definitely. You look at that and you're like, oh, boy, Gigi Leanne. But, you know, I do get her point as well. Like, you know, people always in sports love it when people hustle to the very end. You know, it's just something people love in sports. And I totally get that. I mean, it's it's nice sportsmanship to, you know, just try your hardest until the end. But I mean, with Leanne, like, I'm sure that challenge, like, she just looked at that and she was like, I am so far behind. There is just no way that I'm going to win this challenge. So let's have fun. Did you say that – are you calling Leanne a bad sportsmanship? A bad sportsmanship? You're a bad sportsmanship. 
You're bad sportsmanship, man. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm actually it's it's like the whole thing with Rory before. Like Rory was a complainer, but I totally understood what he was complaining about. Like Everything this, was just classless. Yeah. You know, I totally get it. But it was, it, you know, the, it's the survivor editors just fucking with it because, you know, Leanne's there and she's like, yeah, I didn't feel it's life or death for me. <laughs> All right. So here comes the big moment. This is the one I wrote about. We kind of hinted at it, but it's, you know, the votes start coming up and a couple of Liza votes come up. And this is the big blind side that the girls were going to blindside Eliza. So Eliza looks over to her big sister, Amy. And Amy just kind of nods the most condescending little Amy nod she could give. Like, I'm sorry, child. Yes, it's you. And so Amy, Eliza looks back at the votes, and then all of a sudden the Leanne votes start coming up. And Amy and Eliza look back at each other, and this time Eliza's the one who kind of nods, like, no, it's you. And it's just the most badass little moment. And again, some people have pointed out to me that it's really just editing. Like, they don't think that that exchange of nods really took place. But I'm like, I don't care. It's a TV product. If you edit it to happen twice and you show it that way, it happened as far as I'm concerned. So it's just one of those things you have to look for if you've never noticed it before. The little nodding where... Amy nods at Eliza, and then Eliza, Eliza just repeats the nod right back at her, and then Amy gets the disgusted look on her face when Leanne gets voted out. It's just the greatest little thing. I wonder if there's more outbursts at Tribal Council when the votes are read. Like, people are very good, and especially in Vanuatu, there's a lot of when shocking votes are read, like there's big open mouths and people actively looking around and stuff like <laughs> that. Yeah, well, that. You know, in, in modern seasons, sometimes like votes are read and then people will start whispering things. But like, I, I really want somebody to like, you know, just like halfway through the votes, like when a, a name starts coming up a lot, like just someone standing up to it, it's like, oh, that's some bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Or what they do, the uh, the months, the guy from Simpsons. Ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. Well, James <laughs> did that, right? Yeah, yeah he, he does did. that later. <laughs> he does that later. You know, but yeah, I, I want like, like verbal, like, like big verbal. I wonder if that happens and they just edit it out or what. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe boom it's... goes the dynamite. Yes. <laughs> okay, we're going to take that again, uh, so, so don't say anything this time. <laughs> yeah, Chris, don't scream the F word this time, please. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff Broach's like, you guys, this is super serial, okay? You need to sit down. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bet it was happening, and they just wouldn't show it. I bet it did happen back then. But anyway, so anyway, one of the me. most, yeah, one of the most historic votes in Survivor history, and one that really never gets enough credit. I mean, people remember... The Vanuatu is having this great Chris comeback, but the, really this Leanne moment is right up there with the John Carroll vote as some of the great survivor uh, surprise votes in Survivor history. This one is right up there with any of them because it comes out of nowhere. You know, and, it, and it's great because Leanne just, you know, she just looks bewildered, you know, going up <laughs> yeah. there, getting her torch enough. Like she doesn't really have any like deep looks. She just is like she's going through the motions like, holy crap, I got voted out. Right. And you just <laughs> yeah. see Amy over there just shaking her head, looking super disgusted. You know, and then you could just see Eliza, and Eliza's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Chris, well, you have Sarge and Chad giggling on the jury, like they're elbowing each other. And then Chris has the biggest shit-eating grin you've ever seen on her person ever. He's like, oh, my God, look what we just did. Yeah, and then Julie, after, after finally being on the right side of the vote for about three or four votes, is now once again <laughs> back in the minority. <laughs> Poor Julie. So, yeah, so just a, a great moment again. I can't say enough about this whole episode, the whole sequence of what got to the end. And I'm a big Leanne fan. I've, I really appreciated Leanne this viewing. And it's interesting about her to the point that there's so many points in the season where I would have loved to know what Leanne was thinking. And <clears throat> well, I actually tracked down her. Uh, she did an interview for Survivor Oz a couple of years ago. If you guys want to hear it, it's it's pretty good. Just go to Survivor Oz, look for the Leanne Slaby interview. And there's some fascinating stuff in there about 
Survivor that she admits, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me from her interview is she said, you know, everyone thinks that it was girl power because the girls were together and, you know, from day one that the girls just wanted to beat the guys. And Leanne's like, I hated working with women. The minute it was men versus women, she's like, I was like, are you kidding me? She's like, women are annoying. I don't want to work with women. I wanted to work with guys. Her plan was to get out there, hook up with a guy and basically be the amber to his Boston Rob. And so it was funny that <laughs> that you think the women's alliance was so gung ho that a woman had to win, but Leanne in her interview flat out admits she's like, I hated working with women. They're they're, they're petty and they fight all the time. Mm-hmm. Which again speaks speaks so much to the editing of Amy versus Leanne because if you're looking for sound bites about how this women's alliance that has never really come together before is now conquering and taking down the men like bowling pins, and you're looking at like who should I get confessionals from? You have Amy who's this feminist that's so gung-ho about it and then you have Leanne who like is like all right this is cool but I'm not really into the whole girl power thing I mean whose confessionals are you going to pick yeah that clearly makes sense why Amy gets all the screen time oh it's it is funny in her interview she flat out compares herself and Amy to Boston Rob and Amber saying that she took the Amber role where she wouldn't get all the bullets Amy was going to get all the bullets even though they were really kind of a pair so it's Again, it's one of those things. You can't really see them as a follower and leader. They're a two-team, two-person team just with varying roles and how they approach everyone else. She was, she always wanted to be seen as the Amber. And again, I have to point out, Amber won and Boston Rob didn't in All-Stars. So it wasn't a bad tactic. So she got Amber. Yes, she got Amber. <laughs> oh, JP. Yes. So anyway, should we, should we kick their ass? What should we do? <laughs> So we get to the next episode, which, you know, picks up again with the returning from Tribal Council. And, uh, you know, Twyla being Twyla. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, the, oh, go ahead. You, you go. Uh, I was going to say that the thing that gets brought up, I feel like the, the, the motif of the next few episodes of the post-Tribal Council uh, chaos is basically somebody says something at Tribal Council that pisses off Twyla, and Twyla kind of yells at them about it. And this past episode, it happens... Uh, or actually, no, this will happen in the next episode, but, like, this is the big thing where, uh, in this episode, it's obviously Amy, uh, very, very saddened, and Twyla says she was sticking up for the little guy, and Amy, of course, does not agree, and, of course, the infamous son promise gets brought up now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Amy takes, I mean, and you know the backstory, of course, what is Amy's brother died in a car crash or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Amy's super sensitive to this thing and to little kids. And Twyla says, well, you know, I love my son. I swear on his life. And that's Amy. Amy understandably takes that very personally. So now she's letting loose on Twyla like, oh, my God, I can't believe you'd make that swear and then go back on us. You're going to go to hell. Your son's going to go to hell. And Twyla's like, fuck you, bitch, because that's how Twyla responds to every accusation. And really, this is I mean, this is kind of the yeah, like you said, the theme of the rest of the season, the women going after each other. Twyla will be right in the middle. And Chris is just sitting back laughing, going, oh, my God, this is hilarious. Yeah, this is, you know, a, a couple things to play here. But but one is that, you know, Amy and Twyla have this back and forth. And, I mean, I, Amy obviously is like, now I'm out of power and I've been overthrown. And so she's just sort of attacking Twyla. But you could still see the poor management that Amy had and by proxy Leanne had on this thing. Because, you know, she starts attacking Twyla and, you know, is she doesn't full out say these words. But a lot of her tone is, well, I expect this shit from Eliza and Scout, but not you, Twyla. You know, and it's 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 like you were part of the four. We treated you well, you know, and it's like you have bigger problems. Like you didn't realize that Twyla and Scout were so close. Like you can't just shit on one 
without the other, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's still just kind of poor hindsight, but it, it brings up the point. Yeah, you're right, Mario. The backstory is that, you know, Amy's brother was killed in a car accident uh, a few year, you know, years before this. And it, it's still, you know, one of the, the things that, you know, is, is dominant in her mind. And so Twyla making this swear on her son, it, it would probably fly in a, in a bunch of other seasons. Like a lot of people would just sort of take that as just another thing that was done and said, right. But not Amy, not this season. So, you know, I, that's always why I have trouble when people try to compare, you know, how people play from season to season. Each season is different. And it's not just because Survivor changes up the rules. It's that the people playing the game are always so different. And something may work on one season, but it may not work with these people. It's all You always have to know the people around you, which is something that Twyla just doesn't have in her. And in Amy's defense, a lot of people will say Amy's kind of being a poor sport or being a baby about this. But I have to think... Twyla specifically made that promise knowing Amy's backstory. You have to think of it that way. I bet she specifically tailored, look, you lost your little brother. I have my son. He's the equivalent to my little brother. I will swear on. Like, you have to think that Twyla must have tailored that knowing that Amy would have a sensitive spot there. And again, I don't think I don't think Twyla meant to betray her. She just was in with Amy at the time. I don't think she meant to screw her over. It just kind of happened. But you have to, in Amy's defense, I think that was specifically tailored to hit her right in her soft spot. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what that. I think that's why Amy feels like it probably hurts even more, specifically coming from Twyla. Is yeah. that like it was almost like rubbing salt in the wounds because she, she was like, oh, so you lied to me, and you also lied to me, hitting me where you you knew I was most susceptible. Yeah. Which is like Chris kind of Chris faces a, a lesser version of it with Julie and Eliza later, but it's a very much a similar motif of like you're going to utilize someone's emotional weakness to basically get ahead in the game. Yep. And the answer and, is yes, all of the above. And it's funny. It's, it's interesting to point out the parallels between last episode and this episode. I always kind of think of them as a two-part episode. Last episode, you had Chris against the world. This episode, it's flipped, and now you have Amy against the world. It's kind of interesting here. It's because she really is the biggest character in the season, and this is her swan song. Like, as big as it is that Leanne left last episode, Leanne was not a huge character, really, at the time, because nobody cared. I mean, at the time. And maybe she's got more fans now, but at the time, she was never a big deal. But Amy being her against the world, now it's flipped this whole season on its head. This right. is a whole new thing now. La- the Leanne boot is less about Leanne going as more of the fact that, you know, the Women's Alliance spearheaded by Amy and, and Leanne is just completely disintegrated. Not just fractured or, you know, temporarily broken. It is blown up. It is you know, just been absolutely nuked from orbit. And so this is sort of the fallout for it. And it's, it's, this is Amy's uh, boot episode. It's, it's basically our last hurrah for Amy. But, you know, we get a lot of things out, out the door, whereas, you know, we just saw it at the time, you know, Amy's being dethroned. So all of us that were sort of seeing, you know, Amy as this villain, it was just sort of like the satisfying dethroning. But now when you look at it, you know, going back, this is, this is again, just more Amy complexity. This is just an incredible episode. And I think a really interesting character study and everything that's going on. Yeah. And it's funny. The last notes I wrote about the Leanne episode is that was great, except that's just part one. Now we get to take out the big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But Twyla says to Amy in the dark, she's like, you were cocky. You got what was coming to you. And Amy does admit at one point that she's like, yeah, I was a little cocky. But, you know, she's still upset. I mean, this is how it goes. But this is this is the setup for the rest of the episode. I like the dichotomy of of uh, Twyla pointing out that Amy was cocky. And then we immediately cut to a confessional of Twyla being cocky, saying how smart she is and how she loves her mind. Yeah, yeah. I, have a, I have a great mind sometimes. I love it. <laughs> yeah. 
So anyway, okay, so this is the setup for this episode, Amy's Last Stand, and we go to the reward challenge. This is the one where they have to dive down and get the, the stuff and bring it back, right? It's the car challenge. Car the car challenge. Cha- oh, they get the ch- car challenges early in this season. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think, I believe it's the first challenge where it's not, you know, somebody wins and picks two people or it's like a team of three. This is the top three finishers in the challenge are the ones that get to go on the reward. Yes. Ah, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's, Jeff is like, you know, the winner gets the car, the pre- person who, the, the people who finish one, two, and three get to go on the spa reward. And, you know, and, and sadly, you know, Jeff, Rolls up in the car. It's a nice car. It's like a Pontiac G6 or something. And then, uh, but we don't get any, you know, come in your car, baby. <laughs> yeah. Nice, Mariano. <laughs> yes, none of that. Super sad. Maybe it's because Eliza wins, but I, I don't know. It's, it's. <laughs> nice one, Orleans fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah I, not- I, mean- I noticed that Jeff doesn't decide to go. He's like, Eliza, you, I, I guess you can drive. Can New Yorkers <laughs> drive? Can women yeah. drive? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Well, that's the funny thing. Like, the girl from New York City wins the car. Do they even have cars in yeah, New York most s- of the time? Stupid sexist probes. Yeah, How fast did that car go up on eBay? So anyway, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those uh, challenges that sort of goes back and revisits old challenges. Like, they have to swim out to a platform and then do balancing on things. And then they have to kind of dive down and get flags, which was reminiscent of that challenge where they had to dive down, like, really deep and get flags. Although this one's not as deep. And then they have to, you know, run the course backwards, place the flag on the hanger, and they have to do it three times. And Eliza wins. And, you know, it's it's funny because Amy is sort of in the lead this whole race. Uh-huh. And then they get to the final leg, and, and Amy's still in the lead. But then Amy sort of loses her balance and falls off a couple times. And it, Eliza, slow and steady, just kind of passes her up and wins the car. You think Amy threw that challenge? I don't think so. I don't know. No. She was dusting everyone. She was dusting everyone, but you could see they were all super fatigued by the yeah. end. Like, yeah, they were they were really sucking wind like the whole way through, and I think she just sort of lost her balance. But then the interesting thing was for third because Eliza wins, and then Amy, of course, comes in second, and then the third place, you know, Scout's far out of it, and Twyla is out of it. So it's it's Chris and Julie, and they're sort of tied, and they're at the final buoy, and there's a fun little scene where Chris looks at Julie and says, "You want this win?" And Julie's like, "Yeah, I really want it." And then Chris looks at her and says, "Me too." And it's, it's, it's very brother and sistery, right? And then they both go down at the same time to get the flag, and then Chris beats Julie to the end. Yeah. But, like, at the very last second, like, they, they dive into the water from the, you know, the, de- the debris in the water at the exact same time. And it's literally just Chris has longer legs and just surges forward faster than, uh, faster than Julie. The, inter- the interesting thing about this and, like, the, the last reward challenge as well is that Eliza is like surprisingly a challenge beast in this end game of the season, considering that like she was such, she wasn't necessarily seen as the weakest, but I don't think any, she was necessarily the strongest member of her tribe from the beginning. It's interesting that she was able to like find these challenges that she does so well in. Well, the good thing is that it didn't involve catching pigs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's her weakness, her, her, her Achilles heel. Yeah, and I think that you know she's she's young and she's relatively fit, right? And it's it, she's not. I mean, she doesn't strike me as like a fantastic swimmer, but she's not a poor swimmer either, right? And like with this challenge, like I said, it was it, this is just pure endurance. It's it's literally running and swimming and diving this entire really long course. And so you know, it, to me, it seemed like Eliza and Amy were the two most fit people out there, and it's not surprising that they were the ones that you know basically made it to the end. And at one point, Scout literally floated off into the ocean. They had to go rescue her. Poor Scout. She just, 
just 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 not great on this challenge, must say. <laughs> that well, that I, was where she came back and said, "Motherfucker." Well, she she said she would have done. I mean, I I guess she said it, it was a, a pure swimming challenge. She would have done well. I think we've seen before in previous challenges that Scout does well when it was just swimming out and diving. It was this whole like you know jetty Ooh. stuff in the water that really really effed her up. Yes. Yeah, there, there was, you know, you had to get to shore running, you know, put the flag on the pedestal. And then it was all that balancing on the, on the, the outriggers and stuff. Yeah, she just couldn't do it with the, with the legs. And so they, they'd cut back and show Scout struggling, which, which has to suck. All right, so we get to the reward challenge where Orleans has won her car, got the fist bump. They Look at your off. car, baby! <laughs> yeah. They head off, and it's Chris, uh, Eliza, and Amy, and they go off to the, with the resort. Yeah. This is where the girls take all of Chris's hot water, so he has the the uh, fantastic confessional. We all got to shower. They didn't leave me any hot water. Bitches. <laughs> just, okay. Again, uh, I just shudder to think if there had been a Twitter back there. Yeah. I do, well, like, I do like the random shot really quickly, just funny shot for me of Amy, like, because they, they all got like a, you know, like a Mai Tai or, you know, some frozen, you know, alcoholic beverage, you know, as, as their taking a shower and getting the robes and you see the shot of like Julie in the shower, like basically lean her head out of the shower to like sip on her drink and then go back in the shower. Eliza. It was Eliza or was it Amy? Or Amy. It was oh, Amy. Amy. You said Julie. That's why. Sorry. I meant Amy. Yeah. You, you were thinking about showering. So you had Julie on the brain. <laughs> Look, I've been to Europe. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jay's been friend zoned. Watch out. All right. Yeah. So, uh, and this is where, again, Amy's last stand. This is where we see endless shots of, Amy working on Eliza, like trying to bring her back in as the little sister who strayed. And, you know, I just love you, Eliza. So why don't you come back into the family? Yeah. The, Eli- the one, to be fair, like, Amy's very good at this. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's it really goes to show how much Amy is great at making these social inroads with nearly everybody in her alliance. Because, like, as Eliza shows later on, she really does not want to vote Amy off. She really wants to stay with Amy. Amy's like a big sister her, to her. And Amy once again, brings up this whole thing of, like, Scout and Twyla really don't like you. Remember that? And Scout, and Eliza brings up, you know, like, Scout stopped being nasty to me, like, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it's... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's good that Chris is there, because Chris will pull Eliza aside every so often and says, do not listen to her. Remember, they tried to vote you out last night. And he's like, look at the big picture. Who's in the final four with us? A 60-year-old woman and Twyla. Right. So, it's one of those things that Amy's hitting her from one side as hard as she can. Chris is hitting her from the other side. And Eliza is right in the middle. And it's, it's got to be. This had to be a rough night for Eliza. It had to be a rough night for Eliza. But I think that me thinking about this, I don't think it's as close as, as you know they like to paint it out. Like There's a clear separation. When you watch the scene, there's a clear separation. Like Amy's doing her best. She's talking to Eliza and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, Eliza points it out to Amy. They made their bed. They're friends. They have this sisterly bond, which I still think they have to this day. Like, they're very good friends. But Amy voted out Eliza. Yeah, you tried to vote me out last night. You know, and Eliza brings it up. And, you know, and Amy's like, well, and I feel bad about that and all that sort of stuff. But it's like the writing was on the wall. Like, they made a separate – they drove a wedge. And it wasn't a wedge in their friendship, but they drove a a wedge between friendship and the game of Survivor – and so, like, they're still sitting on the beach talking as friends, and and you know they're still friends, and it's very clear that 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 that's not going away. But then Amy tries to talk game with Eliza, and it's like Eliza's listening, but at the same time, I don't think she's being swayed because 
Eliza's like, dude, last night you tried to, you voted me out. Like, yeah, it's done. It's, it's over. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's the funny scene where, you know, Chris and, and Amy are battling over her loyalty, except just because of the fact that she's female, she and Amy can share a bed and Chris can't. So the whole night, Amy and Eliza are in a bed talking and Chris is out there snoring on the couch because he can't, he can't come in and rebut anything. It's just kind of a funny little scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I love, uh, I actually love that dinner scene as well, just because like it's, it feels so cinematic, like right from a movie script that uh, Amy gives like a little pitch, but Chris is there and then she leaves and then Chris gets, gives his whole spiel to Eliza. And, you know, it's like, he's the person, he, they're sitting on opposite sides of the table and he's just like talking, to, you know, trying to convince her to stick with the alliance. And as soon as Amy comes back, Chris conveniently, conveniently like changes the subject, like, oh, I guess you're going to drive around in your new car first thing you get back to the states right and he like kind of looked at eliza like this conversation never happened yep yeah but i mean you know i feel like chris didn't have to do much swaying like chris is like come on yeah <laughs> i mean i, I feel like that's all he had to say he just looked at it and he goes come on and she just laughs, laughs you know what i mean like again i don't think eliza's a, a dummy right and and eliza has has been on life support this entire game she's had to kind of survive and scratch and claw and so, you know, Amy's just like, oh, I know I just voted you out, but, but come on. And then Chris, Chris gi- just looks at her and goes, come on. Chris gives the, the My Cousin Vinny rebuttal. Everything that guy said is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're in contempt of court. Uh, Mr. Gambini. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we have that scene. We go back to camp. And this is where Scout and Amy are now at each other's throats, where Amy's like, you know, Passive aggressively, just needling Scout for not having a body anymore, and Scout saying Amy got full of herself. It's just, it's just a mess. The women's tri- the alliance is just a mess now. Mm-hmm. And, and you really brought it up last time about how this this couple of episodes should really be looked at as Scout versus Amy, and that's most prevalent in this part right here because it's clearly it's clear that these two women really, really don't like each other, even though they're coming from probably from very not necessarily similar backgrounds, but kind of similar lifestyle choices. Um, it's interesting to just see like how much things can really flip on his head on its head. And Amy kind of has that almost Heidi like confessional about talking about how, like, is she jealous just because I'm younger and have a better body than her? Yeah. And Heidi, that's, is that you? <laughs> and that's particularly harsh after seeing the scene right before that, where scout is all embarrassed that she can't do anything. And she's like, you know, six years ago, I'd be hanging with all these people. I'd be winning all these challenges. Now it's just humiliating. I can't move. And then you have the the shot of Amy just I've been just basically making fun of exactly what Scout was uh, concerned about, of uh, self conscious about. It's just a mean little thing. All right, now we get to the immunity challenge, and I can't think of a better, more exciting challenge to take down Amy, the biggest character of the season, than with fucking shuffleboard. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I agree with you, but at the same time, it's always an interesting challenge because it it lends itself to drama. Just the way that shuffleboard, the way you take turns with the moves. Well, I, just, that makes, I like that the makes, way this is presented. Yeah, that makes one of us. I was bored. Well, you're clearly not 80 years old like I am. I play <laughs> shuffleboard all the time with my friends on our cruise ships. I always, I do like the board. I mean, I like the fact that it was islands and there's little raises for the islands and and things like that. I get that, but it's just like it's literally all right. You all have a puck. It's shuffleboard, but in Jay's version, it's B O R E D. Yeah, Norm Macdonald. Did did, you know any challenge producers were like, "Well, all these older people are taking over the game. We might as well give them shuffleboard." (laughs) Yeah, bingo. Next week it's bingo. Uh, What do you think you guys are missing most? Shuffleboard. All right, yeah. Let's today. You're playing Survivor shuffleboard. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, now I like this channel. Again, Shuffleboard's boring. I just think it, it works well in TV just because of the way, the way Amy got to do the last shot. It kind of builds some dramatic tension. I like that. Yeah, but then she like totally biffs it. She does. Like it's not but, even close. And, I know, but it's built up well. Yeah. And she's got that dramatic Amy look on her face, the, the ice cold ice princess look. Amy has a great, again, I said the resting bitch face. It's not, she's not trying to look ice cold. It's just the way she looks with a resting face. And like we were, I was actually watching this episode recently and my wife like yelled at Jeff because just as she's about to do her last shot, Jeff's like, is she going to play offense or is she going to play defense? And like, like my wife's like, she's down by one. If she gets, if she gets one, her, 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 her tile slides onto an Island piece. She basically goes to a tie break. And so my wife's like, why would she then like try to knock somebody else's off? Like, and wasn't she the last to go? Why would she's, she go defensive? Yeah, like why would you go defensive? You're the last to go. Like just put the damn thing on an island. Like that is that that's the play, right? Like if she's down two, then she needs to put one on an island and knock someone else's off. Like she has to do a couple of things, but all she had to do was put one on an island and it goes to a tiebreak. And just like, will she play offense or will she play defense? It's like I don't know, played, Jeff. She could have played Rory defense where she just smashes the table and ruins it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna but, set fire to this motherfucker. <laughs> that that would have been interesting if she just flips it over the end and goes, "I guess nobody wins." Jeff, <laughs> she played defense. See, Jeff was right. Yeah. All right. So that's yes, like, Amy that's like defense like falling down defense. <laughs> yes, that's it. All right. So uh, that's Amy, a movie refused... reference, by the way, watch that movie. It's pretty good. Falling down, great movie. I saw that with my wife on our first date. Great movie. Oh my god, really? Yeah, the best date movie ever. Oh dude. Yeah, the uh, Zyklon the Zyklon B scene is an excellent romantic scene <laughs> with your future wife. All right, so yeah, Amy loses immunity and and Chris for the first time ever, him against all these women who are much smaller than him finally wins his first challenge. So congratulations to Chris. Mm-hmm. And he has his, he has his typical celebration thing. And the one thing I also noticed from Chris and his celebrations and the way he wins these uh, individual challenges is that Chris is really the one to trademark the Steve Holt celebration. <laughs> Steve Holt! <laughs> like the, the double arm fist pump. He almost Tebows. He yeah, does. He, he does. He points to God. He points up to the sky. Yeah, Tebowing is a whole different thing, but, you know. Yeah, there, right. there, there's, there's an influence in there. But, yeah, I, and I do like his confessional afterwards where he was like, it took shuffleboard for me to find the beat this woman. But you know what? I'm going to treat it like it's an accomplishment and I'm going to feel happy for myself. <laughs> Yeah, there's a man who knows how self-esteem works. All right, so this is now Amy's last stand. It's now basically everyone against Amy. She has no immunity, and she's going to go down fighting. Mm-hmm. So the only, the only feasible possibility is if Eliza forces a tie and they have to draw what Chris calls collared rocks. <laughs> I did notice the collared rocks, too. I was like, what the hell? All All right. Maybe Chris is just not a fan of antiquated uh, racial terms. He's colorblind. Yes. He, he just doesn't use that kind of language. He's Chris. Yes. But again, this is the whole fact that, you know, rocks scare people. And, you know, that, that's the whole thing. It's, it's sick people, right? So everyone's like, I'm, you know, Amy's like, Eliza, please come back to my side. She's like, what? So I can force a tie? <laughs> like yes. that, that. It's a very weak argument to be in. So that's all an, another thing where it's like, Ooh, Amy, she's really working on Eliza at that reward. And it's like, eh, come on. All right. So we get the tribal council here. And this is where we get a great example of Twyla being a fantastic social game player in uh, dealing with a person who's about to go to the jury, where Twyla says, 
I'm not the only person who's lied in this game. You've been had. Grow up. Screw you. Which is classic. That's uh, classic Russell Hand's tactic right there. I was just saying, or, 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 uh, or Cass McQuillan Grace. Or Cass McQuillan's. <laughs> yes. So, yes. So, again, the, you hear a lot of people over the years always say Twyla should have won Vanuatu. Uh, no, she shouldn't have. So She just, really shouldn't have. Yeah, just point out little scenes like that. So exactly how not to berate a juror right before you send her to the jury. Mm-hmm. So, we, we do have another inciting incident that will come into play with another Twyla outburst the next episode where Amy brings up the sun promise and Eliza kind of agrees with Amy about, like, or at least she points out how someone in Amy's position with Amy's experience could take that promise a lot more seriously than Twyla, and Twyla is not happy hearing that at all. Yes, we will get there. All right, so this is where Scout and Amy try to out-nasty each other with their voting comments for one another. Yeah, it's not good. (laughs) All right, what do we got? I wrote it down here. Uh, Amy votes for Scout. You're pretty good at hiding your nasty side, but when your true colors come out, they're no part of any rainbow I've ever seen. That's good. That's, That's a good really one. I like good. that one. <laughs> and then Scout, right? Uh, uh, the turnaround here. Scouts vote for Amy. Queens get dethroned, and lightning will strike a lone tree on top of a mountain faster than anything. So, in that sense, I think Amy did win the snark off. Yeah, sounds like Scout sounds like a Stevie Nicks song. <laughs> well, Scout is like the living embodiment of a Stevie Nicks song. So, <laughs> that's true. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think that that's that's far out of play, but. We we say goodbye to Amy here. This this is Amy getting voting voted off, and I have to say, on going back and rewatching it, I mean, I, I would have told people before that Amy is you know just an A plus character in Survivor, and she is so much more. She is just she's almost everything. She's great. She takes over every scene she's in just because she's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just one of those you can't even define her, and and enough can't be made about this that. She was the first big character after All-Stars. I mean, she was in the Renaissance of Survivor, kind of the rebirth. She's the Richard Hatch. She's the big character that people are talking about. It's, it's, I mean, again, she's not the greatest player. She didn't win. I don't really care that she didn't win. But it, I, enough cannot be said about what a big character she was. And like to the point that people I knew that didn't even watch Survivor anymore were kind of tuning in, saying, I heard about this. They have this lesbian that's like, killing people and she's like ice cold and she's cutting people's throats and like but she's hot and so they're like so like i want to watch her but i'm kind of scared of her but i'm kind of kind of attracted to her too it's one it's one of those interesting things that even people i knew that didn't watch survivor knew who amy was they'd tune in because it was all the amy season until the last three episodes mm-hmm. and i think it's you know we talk a lot about like nowadays casting archetypes and like even you know even back in those days we're getting to the point of where like there's a lot of people that have gone through Survivor, and casting certainly wants to bring in different types of people. But Amy was really a peacock in her right of like she was completely unique. Uh, we had never really seen a character like that before, and we're not really going to see a character like that for a very, very long time. So for a long time after this, Amy definitely stuck out as a major character. So much so that like you know she's one of the top two spots to bring back people for from Survivor Vanuatu for Micronesia. Yeah. And a lot of people have asked me, was it well known that Amy and Scout, in particular Amy, was gay or not straight at the time? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was absolutely all over the place. It was in all the press releases, all the recaps. That was, the, that was kind of one of the dimensions that made Amy interesting because they hadn't had a lot of out gay females at the time on the show. And they had two this season, one being Amy, who's so much larger than life and really impossible to classify in one sentence. She was just, I mean, just an interesting character. And that's really all I can say that there's no way to talk about Vanuatu without calling it the Amy show. That was the Amy season. 
Yeah, hats off to you, Amy. I mean, it is on a rewatch. I mean, you should be proud of, you know, the body of work that was shown there. I mean, Amy came across as one of the most complex characters that the game has ever had because, you know, she 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 was shown as a villain because I think she had villain moments. But, you know, she also says um, in one of those tribal councils, uh, I, I think it's it might be in this one where she gets voted out. I mean, she also says, I'm also one of the kindest, most or no, it, it might have been in her fight with Twyla where she. Yeah, it's with Twyla. Yeah. Twyla's like, you're cocky and, you know, you were rude. And Amy's like, I'm also one of the kindest, you know, you know most down-to-earth people you've ever met or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, I think that too. You're all of those things. She is absolutely all of those things. One little anecdote I, I want to tell here is uh, one of the biggest pop culture websites right now is Grantland. And one of the, the guy that writes it is Bill Simmons. It's, I've been a reader of his for years. He used to write for ESPN. He's like maybe the most prominent pop culture writer out there these days. And he was a Survivor fan back in the day. I remember he used to write about it all the time. And he kind of lost favor with the show after uh, Marquesas or so. It was too many seasons. It was, he was getting bored of it. But he kind of came back into Survivor <clears throat> around Vanuatu. And I remember it was all because of Amy. And I remember he was the one that I'm specifically talking about, wrote something about, have you seen this late, this chick on, on Survivor this season, Amy, that's like a, this man killer? He's like, I swear to God, she's so hot. And I'm scared to death of her. But I want to, I like, I totally want to watch her. I'm fascinated by her because I'm like, I just don't even know what to think of her. So it's just one of those things that, I always remember Bill Simmons was fascinated by Amy, and he was very representative of people kind of getting back into Survivor at the time. Though it is notable that for as a kind of a person Amy claims she is, she does say in her final words, if I just hold Twyla underwater for two minutes, I think I would feel better. <laughs> yes. And that is our last view of Amy, the wonderful character, the first new star of modern Survivor. The last thing we hear her say is she'd like to drown Twyla by holding her underwater. <laughs> Yet she's very kind-hearted, we should point that yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why she holds her under for two minutes, because two minutes is just enough to kill her, and then she'll take her out. So it's, it's a very kind way of killing somebody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got the best interest in heart. <laughs> All right, so we've finished off Leanne and Amy, and now we just got to finish off the Chris show, because now, now it's just Chris embarrassing people the rest of the season. <laughs> well, now we get into, like, a weird section of the season, though. Like, the, nec- the next little bit is is to me just just really weird and I, and I and I remember it being sort of confusing and I was really excited on on to rewatch it again just to make you know really kind of go in there and see if I can clear anything up and I, I really am still as confused as ever as to a lot of the things that go on here because everything seems so straightforward and yet everything got so emotionally muddled yeah the thing the only flaw really I see in this season at this point is we don't really know Julie's role or character in anything she's just kind of a hanger on among all the major characters. And so that's, it becomes interesting that if you knew that she and Chris were super tight, that they might've been the tightest ones out there. This episode makes more sense, but it is a little muddled because you, again, all you see are all the fights between the other characters and Julie just kind of doesn't do anything here. Yeah. It, it's also uh, notable to know that Julie kind of not necessarily faded completely into the background, but ever since she turned at the merge against the guys, she she kind of faded into the background as and was seen as kind of Amy and Leanne's numbers, and we really hadn't visited the Chris and Julie relationship too too much since like the John Kenny boot episode. So to kind of have this resurface again, the editors were putting a lot of trust in the audience, and this might have been one that the audience just kind of forgot about, especially since when it aired, it was like at least a month and a half ago that that happened. Right, and and you're right, Mario. I mean, they could they could have in theory shown 
a little more prominently that that Chris and Julie were like super tight buddies, right? This brother sister sort of relationship. Yeah. Yet at the same time, they clearly have a separate bit in them between them and the game because you know Julie is dictating to Chris like you know she is on the ins with Amy and Leanne and Chris isn't right and Julie's just like oh yeah we're not voting you off tonight like she is acknowledging that they are in separate alliances right like at at this point like it's not clear that the two of them are this super tight final two pact and and, and the thing is is I I don't ever really think that they had that and so that's why it just gets really confusing because it's like you know, Eliza and Amy in the previous episode, a lot of people like this episode or this season has shown that these people can sort of separate some friendships in the game thing, but then sometimes they conveniently don't, which totally happens in Survivor. I get it. But like, because Julie is sort of, as Mike said, been at this point, a post merge uh, seen as just Amy and Leanne's numbers. Like the fact that, you know, she is, you know, sort of, now the basically the last remaining member of that alliance and she's going to get voted out tonight it, it it becomes very oddly emotional for the rest of the season although you wouldn't know that coming from the start of this episode which is just which is just eliza and twyla screaming at each other always good <laughs> always mm-hmm. good yeah so so basically as i as i alluded to in the previous episode uh twyla is pretty miffed at eliza for feeling like she kind of like called called her out called out the the sun promise and was almost siding with Amy on it and uh, Twyla gets very uh, pro, uh, profanity laden with Eliza which of course gets Eliza even angrier and even through through to the next day and through the for the rest of this episode Eliza and Twyla are just going at it constantly. Yep. And Julie again, no dummy, says, "Hey, Twyla and Eliza are fighting. I will use that against Twyla later." So this is where, yeah, Julie starts teaming up with Eliza a little bit. She's like, you know, Twyla sucks. And Eliza's like, hey, you're right. So Chris is starting to get a little worried here. He's like, you know, I'm in an alliance with Twyla and Eliza, and they hate each other. So he's getting a little nervous here. Yeah, he's nervous. You know, and, and the thing is that he knows the numbers. I mean, it's like you said, he at some point in the episode, he he's talking to Scout and, and possibly Twyla. And he's like, it's the three of us. We have those numbers. We're good. Right. Like. They're in control. Chris knows he's in control. The fact that they got Leanne out and disintegrated that alliance and the fact that they were able to vote Amy out with the next vote, Chris is now sitting where he's friends with Julie. He's allied himself with Eliza, but he's also in with Twyla and Scout. Like, Chris is sitting so super pretty. And so what all Chris needs is for all of them to not talk to each other and then decide to vote out Chris. Yeah. That's the only worry. Yeah, it's funny. He's in a four-person alliance here. Although what happens is because Eliza basically separates herself from Julie, and it's something I noticed when I was watching her from uh, Twyla. As I'm watching the episode, I'm noticing Chris essentially becomes in the same position that Kathy was in in, in Marquesas at this point. Yep. Where mm-hmm. there's two alliances of two, and he has to decide which one's in his benefit, in his best interest to go with. So that, that's the best way to think of this episode is think of this as Kathy and Marquesas part two. And whereas Kathy eventually probably made the wrong choice, Chris makes the right choice. So he basically does what Kathy couldn't do. He makes the right choice. And, and you're right. I mean, he, he was clearly in the middle. But notice that he didn't say he was in the middle to anybody. Oh, yeah. He, yes. he sort of does a tribal council. But at that point, it's too late. Well, and Jeff so, like, points it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so Chris is, Chris is good. And he plays his cards right. And he actually did an interview um, semi-recently uh, with Dom and Colin where he talks about 
this choice at five? You know, did did you have was it a tough choice to go with either Eliza or Julie or to go with Scout and Twilight? And he's like, no, it was an easy choice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Absolutely. You don't you you don't see him say that in the episode, but, you know, it was wasn't that hard. No, I mean, you have uh, you know, you you have two older women, uh, one of which you can definitely beat the second one kind of iffy but you know like there you can all over, uh, very easily overtake them in the challenges versus two younger women who might not only be better than you in challenges but also have friends on the jury and will easily vote for them over you it's it's a no-brainer in this case yeah well Eli- i'm not sure eliza could have beaten him in a vote just because twilight and scout are on the jury at that point so yeah. So, but Julie is the scary one. Julie is the one that has no enemies. I mean, she's betrayed the guys, but people like Julie. It seems like she's tight with everyone. So there's really only one person who's dangerous to Chris at this point, and that's Julie. And I'm sure he knows that. Right. And, that, and that's, that's the strike against Julie, because I agree with you. Julie is, she's so naturally dangerous in this game. You know, yeah. she, just, just her being her out there, she's better than a lot of people that come out there on the island like she's just naturally better at this game than a lot of people julie didn't clearly show any agency like her strategy was to get into people's alliances which she is so good at doing right we can't discount that she was on she was on the the wrong side of voting how many times in this game at least three maybe more at least three and then she was able to worm in on the other side like that is that is really impressive like there's nothing that she did out there that that really unimpresses me, but she's sort of in this situation near the end as the numbers dwindle where she needs to actively do something, and she can't. So she's basically now relying on Chris. Yeah. I was going to say, she's kind of like Sander and Vesepia in a way, and that she worms her way into alliances. But yeah, she just can't go past that. She's not as good as them. So as much as it hates me to say this, I agree with you. The more I was watching this, the more I kind of take back my assessment that she's like one of the greatest players not to win she's good at avoiding the vote but just can't seal the deal so i'll say it's that's a time sensitive remark so just consider that comment to be true for like the middle section of episodes yeah that's fine i'm cool with being right for 67 percent of the time (laughs) (laughs) so anyway as as mike and mario have have pointed out that uh we've sort of got the alliance or you know eliza is sort of talking with julie a bit and you know scout and twyla of course is scout and twyla and eliza and twyla are having words so they're sort of being separate and chris is just trying to tenuously hold on but we do have uh a challenge a really Mm -hmm. cool reward coming up here this is this and this is another this is the bigger like second chance reward challenge that does the whole segmenting thing of like Five of you go through a mud pit, and then four of you pit, catch a pig, and three of you do a tiki puzzle, and two of you do this whole little balance beam and slingshot thing. Yes. And Julie comes out of nowhere to win this challenge. Yeah, and she even has a badass moment where, like, you know, right before her final slingshot or whatever, she basically says, I'm winning this. Yep. And yeah. I should point out, again, she's wearing Chris's hat through the whole challenge. Yep. She was his buddy. And she wins the challenge, and you know she gets the she gets the dig in. Where it was funny because you know she wins the challenge, and Jeff's like, "Nice job." And she's like, "Thanks, Jeff." And Jeff's like, "Who would you like to take on the reward?" And Julie's like, "You." <laughs> nah, she That'd be, that would be that would be an interesting survivor first. <laughs> she didn't say that, but she gave him eyes, and then she says, "Well, you know, none of them would take me, but I'm going to take Chris." Yes, and it's a really cool. And this is where they get to go horseback riding up to the side of an active volcano, and basically. Have a little picnic cookout, drink beer, hot chocolate, hot dogs, while sitting there watching a volcano go off like it's fireworks right in front of them. 
Yeah, and yeah, they get their food cooked by geothermal heat. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't appreciate those reward challenges. Yeah, I didn't appreciate. I didn't appreciate this the first time I saw it. It's only when I watched it last night. I'm like, that was a really cool scene. I'm glad. I, I just love little uh, location specific scenes like that that they really don't do anymore. That was really cool. Well, you know who had a had a good eye for this, and I, I don't know. You know, don't beat me up too wrong too too wrong if I'm if I'm incorrect on this. But I think that Lex. Uh, Vandenberg from, you know, Survivor Africa and Survivor All-Stars. I think he saw this on TV. Like, I think he went to Vanuatu and did basically this. Went up to Mount Yasser and had, you know, saw the volcano. Because I think he saw it on TV and was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. There you go. Lex is awesome. I hope Lex had better luck with his horse than Chris did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my wife has had some horseback training in her life. And, you know, that was the whole thing was that Joe was telling you know, Chris kicked the horse, right? And I, I don't think Chris has had a lot of, you know, horse time in his life. And so, you know, my wife is just basically, yeah, you have to kick the horse. And I mean, Chris was very reluctant to kick the horse. So apparently, you know, if you need to get the horse going, you have to actually like kick the horse with some, some bit of force. Does that open so, up the back door? It might. Oh, so I don't think anyone's had any horrible horseback experience as much as Sean Rector. So like, it's all about perspective, Chris. Yeah. I must also say that every time I've been on a horseback ride, it's never hurt me physically like Sean Rector. But my horse is always the horse where like you get on the horse and then it takes five steps and then it just starts peeing. <laughs> and then and then it, it pees so much that like basically it's just sitting in a puddle of its own pee. Yeah. And then you're kind of like, well, are you going to move or are we just going to sit here in your pee? Like what what's going on? The horse is the horse is just sowing no care for anything. And I'm like. This is my life. This this is what's happening right now. I know Jerry Seinfeld has a great bit where he talks about whenever he goes horseback riding, it's clear that within two seconds that the horse doesn't respect him. So, like, it's no longer him riding a horse. It's just the horse deciding to go or not, and Jerry's along for the ride. And that's about yeah. it. You're just kind of helpless. You're just yeah. there like, do you like, want to go? And the horse is like, I do what I want. <laughs> so is this a, a, another episode then of our Vanuatu adaptation of Seinfeld? <laughs> this is it, yes. Is Joe is is Joe the guy like the Newman? <laughs> yeah, Joe, you know if 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 Daw was an investment banker, then Joe is like you know what the mailman. Yeah, you know, and th- that fits in because later in the uh, episode we hear the story about the famed uh, Vanuatu tribesman Art Vandalay. <laughs> Art Vandalay uh, and George Steinbrenner. Yes. Yeah. All That's right. Roy so yes. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yeah. So. Julie and Chris go on this reward, and Julie works him hard the entire time. You know, we're buddies. You know, we got to – I forget. What is her logic? I wrote it down on my note here. You know, she's like, I, I, I've trusted you. I've saved you out here. You kind of owe me one. He's like, I do owe you one. You're the one, only reason I'm still here. So Julie works him hard. Yep. Chris is going on to say later, I mean, Chris knew that Julie was dangerous. He's like, I couldn't beat Julie, and I had to go with Scout and Twyla. But – you know, this is the whole thing. This is why Chris wins and why Leanne doesn't. And he's, he even hints so later. Like, Chris is like, I had to placate her. I had to say, yeah, cool, I'm with you. Because if he's like, you know, Julie, you're not part of my final three, she can go maybe do something. She you can, I mean? absolutely. Mm-hmm. And people know this. This is, this is a thing that is in Modern Survivor. Like, there are a lot of things that, you know, people just – it's a show people watch the show and you learn right and one of the things you need to learn is is that if you need to hold somebody you need to tell them what they want to hear yep yep yeah it doesn't matter what you say it matters what they hear and so chris basically just says to julie like yeah dude you and me we're doing it it's awesome 
Although it's funny, I was cracking up because you you picture Julie and Chris having this wonderful romantic friend zone uh, scene on the side of a volcano. Then you imagine back at camp, it's just Eliza, Scout, and Twyla all <laughs> without any supervision. Which I, I, I wish I would I would love to see like the uh, unedited version of the tape of them just hanging around camp, which is just "fuck you, bitch." And then Eliza's like, "I hope you die." Fuck you. Yeah, we we got we got a little bit here about like burying bananas, but I can't imagine how much longer that argument went on for. Probably at least another couple of hours. Well, it's like yeah, Twyla and Scout totally being like little little junior high girls picking on Eliza, and Eliza because she has no filter just doesn't have the sense to shut up and go away. So she'll just needle them back, and it just goes on. And it's like, shut up, all of you, Jesus. Is this the banana fight? Is this where they? Yeah, this is the banana. This is the banana fight. This is this is the opposite of banana etiquette. This is the whatever the opposite of etiquette is. Right, you know, and and then she's like, "Well, I'll bury some, and and you won't find them." They're like, "Whoop, you got us!" And I was like, "She kind (laughs) of does. Like, that's what you did. Like, holy shit." And then Scout is like sitting on the log, like, "You get us a banana, little one." (laughs) It's Scout. Boy, you got us. Oh man! And what's funny is that Eliza, if you're listening to this podcast, which which is you know kind of likely. Um, my wife was watching this and she's just like, isn't anyone ever nice to Eliza ever in this, in this show? Yeah. Well, my wife was just kind of, paying, she was off to the side, just kind of half paying attention. And she heard the scene and she kind of looks over. She's like, scout is just a bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, she kind of is. Yeah. What? I think the night, I think the nicest people to Eliza this season were any of the Vanuatu natives that she got to go on a reward with. <laughs> and probably because they didn't speak English. Uh, <laughs> they couldn't understand her. Yeah. <laughs> my wife was just like, my wife's like, I know that she probably rubs people the wrong way, but holy shit, nobody is nice to her. And that's something, again, that Chris mentioned when I had my interview with him that he wanted to reiterate as many times as he could. He's like, Eliza is so sweet, and people are just horrible to her. Yep. So anyway, they get the we get the nice uh, volcano erupting at night, which is just like the coolest thing ever. But then uh, they come back to the camp. And uh, Chris just reaffirms that it's going to, you know, he's he's with Scout and it's all good. Yeah, everyone basically thinks they're with Chris at this point. Again, he's the Kathy right in the middle. Is this yeah. where he has the great confessional where he's like, everybody trusts, I don't trust them and they all trust me, which is the sick thing? Yeah. I think, screwed yeah, up, it's right here. Up yeah. Part. Yeah. yeah, he's like, that's the screwed up part is they all trust me. <laughs> yeah. That's such None a good, that's together, such a good yeah. confessional. Holy crap. And this is where we have a great scene. This is one one of my absolute favorite entries on the Funny 115. I wrote about it. This is where Chris and Eliza are having their little talk on the uh, beach. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like the sequel to Chris and Chad with the you have a leg up on me scene. This is where Chris is trying to placate Eliza that they still have a deal all the way to the end. And he's like, Chris is like, just have to see what happens at the immunity challenge. And then we'll do what's best for us. And Eliza is like, and Chris is like, we're going to the final three. And Eliza's like, oh, yeah, to the final two. And he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> it's just one of those where Chris kind of gets his stories mixed up. And Eliza catches him on it to the point that she notices he said it wrong, but she doesn't realize that he's so fumbly in his, in his recovery. It's just one of those scenes. I was watching it uh, in the living room this, this uh, afternoon with my wife, and my daughter was kind of around, too. And they both cracked up at that scene. We had to rewind it and listen to it a couple of times. It's so funny to watch Chris get caught in his own stories and have to recover really quickly. Well, and then, like, Twyla's listening. Right? Oh, no, I think that's. I think that's, oh, that later? that's later. That's oh, later. That's later. After, after the after the immunity challenge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Never mind. But anyway, yeah. yeah if, if you're looking for a great underrated scene, just look for that Chris and Eliza speech on the beach where where they're discussing. Oh, yeah. and, he, and, and he slips up in his story. Okay. It's all the rocks and everything. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. 
Final three. Final two. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. yeah I mean, right. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> All right. So now we go to the immunity challenge, and this is where uh, this is one of the famous survivor immunity challenges where Jeff tells them a story. And they have to remember all the details, which they haven't done one of those in years. And this is the one about Chief uh, Art Vandale or Roy Mata is his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to, she, he tells the story. They have to remember all the trivia. And of course, Eliza wins this one because Eliza's super smart. I have to say, though, just as a very quick aside, the story of Roy Mata, that's an amazing story. Like, that's incredible. And then they, jumping ahead a little bit, when they have their um, uh, rites of passage, moment it's on the island which is across the way which is where Roy Mata is buried was buried alive with all those people uh-huh. like we've gotten some Vanuatu culture throughout this season I feel like this season is you know included you know the Vanuatu culture pretty well in it but like why were they sitting on that story until episode 13 like that's so good they could have weaved that into like all these challenges and stuff like that like that is an incredible story and they like bring it out right at the end of this immunity challenge and then bring it right to the rites of passage and it was like dude you could have dusted that out earlier i would have ate, eaten that up like Absolutely. all the time yeah my uh, favorite fa- part go ahead. go ahead i was gonna say fun, fun fact actually uh Scout went into the booth to answer the question, you know, who who killed Roy Mata? And she actually got the question wrong because Eliza wasn't an option. <laughs> I was going to say I like the movie version of Roy Mata when uh, Woody Harrelson played him in Kingpin. <laughs> oh, boy. That's good. I didn't know Roy Mata had a fake hand. He did. He was the Oda Reader's champion. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Eliza wins. And now for the first time in her life, she doesn't have to bring her bag to tribal council. So she is no longer the girl who cried wolf. And Eliza is super excited because she knows Chris has promised her they're going to vote out Twyla tonight. And Eliza could not be more excited. Oh, so much sh- that, she, that she talks to Chris about it with Twyla sitting behind her. <laughs> yes. Is that the scene right here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the hammock. Oh, my God. Yeah, where Chris is in the hammock and Eliza's talking. And then literally, I think the camera doesn't even cut away. It just, like, pans right over to Twyla, sitting, like, probably six feet away from where Eliza is, listening to the entire conversation. And you talk about cinematic. That little pan right there. And the look that Twyla has on her face. It's just, she caught them scheming. She caught Eliza and Chris scheming. And the look on Twyla's face kills me every time. And then, here we go, another Eliza and Twyla fight. So then they have to fight because, you know, they won't back down and they go everything. And what I love is that Twyla then just gets the attention over to Chris because they have a fight over it because, you know, basically she heard them scheming and Eliza's like, you know, Twyla's like, what are you guys talking about? And Eliza's like, none of your concern. And, you know, they're basically going <laughs> off on it, right? And they're doing everything. And then and then finally, uh, you know, then they get over and Twyla's like, and you, Chris, what are you? And Chris's like, what? <laughs> I'm just laying here, you know, in the hammock. <laughs> Such a great that that is my favorite scene of the entire season right there. Just that little hammock and Chris's hammock moment, which, funnily enough or strangely enough, is not the only great Chris hammock moment. We'll have another one in the next episode too. The interesting thing about this episode, actually, uh, from Chris's perspective, Chris totally in this episode is like the fool in a Shakespeare play. Like he knows the most about everything that's going on, and everything's everybody's relying on him, and he gets himself caught in all these situations. But, like, everyone trusts him innately to the point of, like, he comically shrugs everything off. So it's just so funny to watch all these instances where, like, everyone's pulling Chris in and Chris is like, I'm not doing anything. What are you guys talking about? Yeah. Yeah, he's truly in a good position here because his only fear is that, like, the four of, like, because 
Scout and Twilight and Eliza, in theory, could team up as three and take out either Chris or Julie, right? But they hate each other. That's not going to happen at this point. And so Scout and Twyla could bring Julie in to take out Eliza and Chris. But that's also not, I mean, it doesn't seem like that's where Julie was going with it. And so, like, barring those two things, it really is just Scout and Twyla and Eliza and Julie with Chris in the middle. So it's like, Chris could screw up. And he sort of did a couple times, but it was like, there were no ramifications because the other people literally were just not aligning with each other. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the one argument you hear from people that are only watching Vanuatu for the first time. How come they never voted out Chris? And I'm like, because they all trusted him. I mean, I don't know if it's any more complicated than that. He's just really good at getting you to think he's on your side until he's not. And that's the thing. That's, I don't think it ever crossed their mind to vote him out. You don't vote out your allies. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, th- so this is where things get sort of sort of dicey is not the right word, but I guess this is where the emotional thing happens. Cause if you're following the season, just numbers wise, you know that Chris has sort of had a thing with scout and Twyla and he's pulled in Eliza for convenience sake on the Leanne vote. And he sort of, you know, kept Eliza going through the Amy vote and Chris and Julie are good friends. And so now Eliza and Julie are staring down at scout and Twyla and they all look at Chris as sort of a confidant. And Chris realizes that he needs to go with scout and Twyla, but he placates Julie and Eliza, and he basically says, yeah, we'll vote out Twyla tonight. I'm with you guys. Mm-hmm. And this is going to, I mean, bite Chris in the butt is not exactly correct, but this is going to come up later. Like, they're going to take Chris to task for this. But yeah. as I said earlier, Chris did what he had to do. He placated Julie so that she didn't really make a move. Like, you know, I bet you Julie probably has the skill to go to Scout and Twyla and flip it and have them be a final three. But she didn't because she felt pretty good where she was because Chris made her feel good uh, where she was. So we're going to this tribal council, and Eliza is super excited to vote out Twyla, and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, and, and this tribal council in Twyla says, puts her foot in her mouth. Uh, Jeff asks her who, <laughs> who she feels is not worthy of her spot in the game. Um, and Twyla tries to be as coy as possible in Twyla standards and say there is someone... And Eliza immediately says, oh, it's me, by the way. It's me. I love that. It's me, by the way, Jeff. (laughs) I don't want to name names, but it's a little Jewish girl who never shuts up. I don't want to point fingers, but her. It rhymes with Eliza. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I I do have to point out right before Tribal Council, Twyla has a great speech. This is one I I just kind of wrote down when I was watching where she says, uh, how do you trust people? We're all fighting for a million dollars. People have murdered for less than a million dollars, which I think is a great quote. And she brings that up again in, her, in, her, in the final tribal council as well. People have held other people underwater for two minutes for less than a million dollars. It seems like an awful lot of violence for not a lot of money. Yes. What is that from? Oh, that's that um, don't go down to re-row. Oh, yeah. Oh, You're yeah, on your right. own on this one. You're on your own on this one. That's, isn't that a Saturday Night Live thing? Yeah. yeah. Maybe that was an SNL parody. Are you talking about the movie they were parodying? Yeah. Oh, I have no idea. Anyway. No, that was, that was anyway. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let me just point out right here from Chris, uh, just something I know, wrote in my notes. Chris's mindset right here. He wants Julie out of the game because Julie is dangerous, and he wants Eliza out of the game because he needs Eliza on that jury because she would never vote for Twyla or Scout to win. So you just have to think of this from Chris's point of view here. Yep. All right. So, yeah. So this is the big surprise. Uh, surprise. Julie's gone. Oh, 
And I have to point out before Julie gets voted out, Scout has another uh, Scoutism for her. Go back to your roots, Jules. Rediscover your roots. What does that mean? Uh, maybe she wants she's, to... a, she's a weed. Oh, I was going to say I, she wanted her to like join the Native American Reserve. Oh, that's yeah. I mean, I didn't get that one. Like, I I I, I looked. At, she's like, go back to your roots. That's my advice. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? Maybe it's a reference to Roots, the TV series. And then Rory comes out. Hey. <laughs> Can't hell talk about no. auction blocks without me here. Yeah, hell no. <laughs> I'm going to stop this right here. <laughs> and speaking of LeVar Burton, let's get to the finale. Yeah. So here comes Chicken George. Okay. So anyway, yeah, so uh, Julie gets voted out. And uh, this is where Eliza does the mouth agape. She does her little Chad moment of surprise. She's like, oh, my God. And. And that's the thing. Uh, <clears throat> at the time, Chris got a lot of flack for this. On the, as with many things, Chris got a lot of flack from the uh, message board fans that he voted out Julie, and it was so cruel. And as I've pointed out many times in this podcast, you know, she did it to him earlier, so it's kind of revenge. So this is the, one of the better Kill Bill moments right here. His his uh, ice cold cutting of the throat of Julie, who once did it to him earlier. And he brings it up again. He brings it up, his reasoning, that exact yeah. reasoning, the very next episode. He said, like, Julie had it coming. She pulled a fast one on me after the merge, so I, I got her back. Even, yeah. at the, even at the time, though, like, I, and, I'll, and I'll admit, this is one of the last seasons where I was actively rooting for someone on Survivor. I don't really watch the show and root for people anymore. I was rooting for Chris near the end. Like, you know, and I realized that I'm male and, you know, I identify with males and all that sort of stuff. I was rooting for Chris. I, I wanted Chris to win this game. And, you know, it was so fun that he was doing so. But, like, in my head, Chris was aligned with, 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 with uh, Twyla and Scout. And so Ju- the Julie vote out wasn't a surprise to me. Yeah. And then, you know, people are like, you know, if people were like, oh, I don't get the, you know, he cut out Julie, you know, it was so cruel. I'm like, I didn't think it was that cruel. She wasn't in part of his alliance. Like, she never was. Yeah. Again, like, people he, just like the younger cuter girls and i think the audience always tends to feel a little protective of them like you can't do that to julie that was mean i'm like well, oh, she did the same thing to him i i also think that you know the next episode and the subsequent reunion are going to taint people's images of this um oh, oh you think you think the reunion didn't help chris oh you think but anyway <laughs> yeah. oh jesus let's okay let's get there before we get yeah before we get to the finale just let me point out that they, they do the recap at the start of the finale of the whole season the one of vanuatu is per, is particularly fantastic it was, it's just really it just does a great job of telling the story that the editors needed to tell. It explains why everything happened. It really sets up this finale and Chris's win perfectly. So if you ever want to see the perfect way to recap a season, watch how they do it at the at the start of the Vanuatu finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, usually nowadays with with recaps, they do like they go through each person and talk about what their story was for the game. Uh, but I don't think Vanuatu necessarily needed to do that, and they didn't. But I didn't necessarily feel like it was missing that just because you could see everyone's moves throughout the game and everyone's stories just by this masterful telling of what exactly happened. Yep. Yep. I'd agree. And Hey, we start the finale with Eliza and Twyla fighting. (laughs) Are you sure this isn't a rerun? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, So apparently Twyla said Eliza wasn't deserving and Eliza's being annoying and, and a spoiled brat. So it's same old, same old, just going at each other's throats and, Eliza, of course, is furious with Chris. And uh, Chris, I love this speech. This, this, uh, this speech to Eliza here, this is great. This is how you deflect uh, anger in Survivor. Where he says, uh, 
Eliza, what I did was for our alliance. We are still together. Julie was a player. She didn't care about you. She voted for you once, remember? <laughs> so Eliza's yeah. like, okay, good point. <laughs> so anyway, if you just want to see a a uh, master survivor artist at his peak, just watch how Chris deflects Eliza right there. He deflects Eliza, and you know where Eliza catches some flack, and and where you know Julie tries to get him later is that you know he placates her. Like at this point, he doesn't necessarily have to. Like, there's four people left, you know, and and it's it's quite clear, you know. I mean, obviously Eliza is just thinking Chris is her ally, right? But it's like there's Scout and Twyla that are a two, and you know, Eliza, you know, Chris is voting with them. So like Eliza's sort of the odd man out, and it's like, well, vote with me and force what a two-two tie. You know, like the writing's on the wall, but, you know, Chris doesn't, he never just turns to her and says, you know what, Eliza, you're not part of my final two plans. Yeah. yeah. He basically he, just yeah. says, dude, we're good. We're tight. We're awesome. And it, it's funny. Well, I'll have more about to say about this later, but Chris got a lot, like you said, got a lot of flack for just leading Eliza on for no reason. But Eliza, I've seen her in interviews even defend Chris saying he had to do that. If he didn't do that, I'm going to turn on him. So it's like it wasn't unnecessary at all. It's just what he had to do or else I would have bolted on him in a second. Yeah, you have to lock down the people that, you know, you want to get get out, you know, and that that's it's the difference. I mean, you know, a lot of old Survivor, there is this whole notion where people are like, I want to tell the person that they're going home. That's why that's why there's a thing called a blind side. And, you know, I, I hate modern marketing of Survivor because, you know, every vote out is you know, marketed as a blind side, but it's like, that's what you have to do because if you don't do it, you give people an opportunity to scramble and work their way out of it. And Chris is showing us that, you know, unlike Leanne and Amy and stuff like that, you placate Julie, you placate Eliza, you tell them what they want to hear. They don't scramble against you. Then you can vote them out at will easy. And you'll notice scout pretty much disappears from the narrative at this point. Yeah, Yeah. she's done. Yeah, she's done. This is no longer the Scout story. To the point, my wife, my wife was watching the season. She's like, I forgot that Scout even gets this far because she, like, she kind of disappears. Yeah, right. she's she's the agent in that, you know, uh, Scout and Twyla movement. Like, she's the one that really wants to get out and Twyla's following her. But the end is about Twyla. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's about Chris and it's about Twyla. So poor Scout sort of gets shoved to the side. So, yeah, speaking uh, she- of... Yeah, I was going to say, should we get forward, go forward to one of the coolest immunity challenges? Oh my god, this is the best set ever. Yeah, speaking of being shoved to the side, let's talk about Scout trying to do a vertical maze. <laughs> it's like an, it's, it's a vertical maze. Go, if nothing else, watch this challenge. Like, I don't know, whenever people do their lists of like best challenges ever in Survivor, why is this never mentioned? Or is it mentioned? It should be. Yeah, oh, yeah. I've heard it mentioned a lot. This is one that people tend to remember. And it's interesting just watching it, the way it's presented in the episode. If you've ever seen the movie The Wicker Man, this is the reveal at the end of where they finally see The Wicker Man for the first time. That's what this challenge is like. You just reveal this giant structure, and they're like, oh, my God. It's just it's such a cool little reveal. So everyone comes in dressed up like bears? I am talking about the original Wicker Man, you motherfucker. <laughs> wow, Mike went there. Absolutely. Yeah, don't even. Let's not even talk about it. Don't, don't. It doesn't exist. It doesn't yes. exist. Don't challenge The Wicker Man with me. So it's an incredible set. It's this maze. It's a vertical maze with all these levels. And they basically need to go in there and retrieve, uh, you know, a lot of tiles, like nine pairs or something. And they just keep going until Scout falls to her death. That's the way the challenge ends. Ten tile pairs. Like they have to go in there and get a lot of tiles. And so it's a lot of running through the maze. And I guess, you know, in a way, Mario, you have a point. Like 
I didn't feel like this was as visually stunning while they were running the maze as perhaps even like sliding on the Vanuatu themed shuffleboard. But like <laughs> this challenge, it, it's cool. Like they get to, you know, shimmy in and out. It's like, you know, good old, you know, old fashioned double dare without the slime. They're like going through things and going up and over and they're finding pairs of tiles. And then basically the pairs of tiles, there's there's a 10 letter, a, a 10 letters, a two word phrase that they need to spell out. And Chris gets himself to the end and spells out the phrase final three, and he celebrates very (laughs) low-key. Yes. Again, Chris celebrates like no other. I got it! I got it! I got it! I got it! Yes! 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 yes. God! Yes! Point to you, God! Thank you! Steve Holt! Steve Holt! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I I had to rewind that. I was watching it just like a couple hours before we recorded this podcast. I'm like, I had to keep rewinding and watching Chris celebrate because it's so infectious. Like, I don't know how you could hate Chris. That's the thing. I just don't get how people didn't like Chris or don't think he's an interesting character. How fun is that? Is he when he's celebrating? He's so just so full of joy. I don't see how you could not root for him. Yeah, the weird thing is that is also like usually in a lot of other seasons, somebody will do that. And other the other contestants will just be pissed off at that person or be like, "Oh, that's just horrible sportsmanship." But like for these past few episodes, Twilight and Scout are like very you know forthcoming about actively rooting on for chris in these challenges uh-huh. like to the point when they got back to camp the three of them like do a tiny hug together and being like oh yeah this is it we finally did it yep <laughs> and then one of my favorite chris moves this is one that a lot of people kind of forget about chris tells twyla you know you finally get to vote out eliza so why don't you go taunt her a little bit before you vote her out just to needle her a little bit <laughs> which is funny because twyla actually goes I see what Chris is doing. I'm not going to do that. And I was like, oh, so, so, so this one time you decide to be selectively nice. Yeah. But it's just one of the sneaky little things, you know, if you see Chris doing it once, you know, he was doing it other times too, where he, he's really good at setting other people up to fail, <laughs> which I really appreciate. I, I love that kind of survivor. You know, I can look heroic if I like, but I'd rather you look not heroic. Yep. So he's like, why don't you needle Eliza on the way out? But Twyla's not taking the bait this time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's the exact quote. Chris is like, wait until about a half an hour before tribal council and then ride her like a dog. (laughs) Which, I I mean, I don't know if if Chris rides a lot of dogs where he's coming from. I mean, I guess the more apt comparison would be riding like a horse, but I think his memory has been tainted by what he experienced last time at the volcano. Yeah, you can ride your dog for about two seconds until the hip goes out. That's my, my experience. Joe, my horse is defective. Can I have a new one, please? Yes. Joe? <laughs> Joe? All right. So, uh, yeah, then we uh, – I'm trying to read my notes here. Let's see. Chris has another quote. I have to put up with three women all afternoon, and that sucks. Again, the, heart, the champion of the people. Well, that's why people can't root for Chris. I mean – your quotes are there, and I mean, I know that you're all into, you know, fun needling sexism sort of, you know, jokes and stuff like that. But, you know, people are tr- – that's hard to really kind of get behind, you know? Like, depends. <laughs> no, it doesn't depend. Now, now you're just, you know, being funny for funny's sake. It, th- this is the problem with Vanuatu. Like, the problem with Vanuatu in a nutshell is I think that people that are just casually following or just sort of, you know, following traditional things, they just don't know what to latch onto in this game. I don't know what to root for. Like, it's easy at the beginning. You root for the women, right? But then the women are basically gain the advantage. And not only do they gain the advantage over the men, but then they're led by Amy, who's saying things like, I don't care about these men. You need to throw them overboard and, you know, all these sorts of things. And she sort of 
emerges as this ice queen. So then the champion of the men comes forward, and it's Chris, uh-huh. who's saying things like, women are freaking crazy. And, you know, every, every you know, thing is, women are crazy. So people are like, so, so I have to root for Chris? Yeah. And then no, I'd like, agree with you. Yeah, I'd agree. No, 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 you don't. Well, yeah, you do have to vote for Chris. Well, or root for Chris. Well, I don't want to. Oh, I want to root for the women. So I root for Scout? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you just see Scout, like, berating Eliza the whole time, and you're like, okay, so I root for Twyla? Yeah, I agree. There is not an obvious hero in Vanuatu. It's very much a, a collection of flawed, bickering people. That's how I would say it. Right. Which isn't, which isn't anything bad, but, you know, coming off two seasons of Rupert Mania, I think oh, yeah. people were, were looking for the next person to get behind. Well, yeah, and combine that with or compare that to next season with a beloved New York City firefighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Chris, I, I mean, I can understand why Chris wasn't popular and Again, my only my only beef is why are the editors using those quotes in the first place? Like they tended not to sell out their winner that bad. And and again, you can make the argument, well, he said that stuff. I'm like, yeah, I know, but and that wasn't really their mo to show that stuff, even if they said it. That's just right. kind of the way. So it's it's interesting that they really kind of sold Chris out, just like they sold Jenna out in Amazon. I feel. Yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that. Like 100. percent They they didn't have to show that stuff, and they did. And that sort of, I think, lends to it. But, you know, Chris is, Chris is doing Chris things. But, uh, hey, we get Eliza. Eliza finally gets eliminated. Hats off to you, kid. Uh, the whole game of people trying to get rid of you, and it's here. And she has a great moment, too. Again, I have a lot of moments that I wrote about on the Funny 115. This is another one that I'm a big fan of where Chris votes for Eliza, and they have that big stare down at the end. Yeah, well, she it's just, like a, yeah, it's a double stare down almost. Yeah, she turns and looks at him, and he just glares down at her, and they hold that pose for must. It's like four or five seconds. It's the greatest little showdown, and then she walks out, and she's like been blindsided. She glares at him again, as Eliza can do, and Chris just waves to her. He's like, "Whatever, see ya." <laughs> yeah, just like a, she does a shrug. <laughs> yeah, like again, if you like Chris, that's one of the greatest moments. If you hate Chris, I understand why you don't like Vanuatu because that is such a Chris is a is a uh, charismatic dick moment. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah, but again, it confuses me. Like, I get that, again, I get that Chris is placating Eliza, but it's like the whole thing with Julius. Like, what honestly did you expect? Mm-hmm. I expected him to go with me. I get that. But, you know, they, they, were, they were completely taken in. But it's like, it's just so funny because he's, you know, he was with Scout and Twyla when they organized all that sort of overthrow and, and, he was voting with them, and you know, she's like, "I'm really hoping that he what votes with me and forces a tie." Mm-hmm. And again, this is one of the reasons why I described fun, uh, uh, Vanuatu as uh, Kill Bill. It's basically the same story as Kill Bill. And the reason I write about it that way is that's the only way you can kind of appreciate Chris. You have to buy into this mindset that the women were evil and needed to be taken down. Because if you don't, it looks like Chris is just an asshole. And that's what, specifically, I really tried to spin Vanuatu the way people watch it because I knew it wasn't popular at the time. And I knew if you see it, Kill Bill as him needing revenge on people that have wronged him, it works better. And that's, again, why I write about it this way. And the Eliza moment is one of the big ones. You have to spin that a certain way if you're writing about it or else people are going to hate Chris. And I don't want people to hate Chris because I love the season so much. No, but he provides, again, a good blueprint. He's showing you how you play Survivor. And the problem is, is that the season is so charged because... As you guys know, we have so many seasons to to draw on where a lot of times 
the strongest pulls, the strongest alliances are the original alliances of or the original tribes of the game. You know, that's where a lot of, you know, when when merges happen, a lot of times, you know, even if tribes have been swapped and people have been moved around, original tribes is usually the strongest bond. Not always, but usually. And in this season, the original tribes was a tribe of men and a tribe of women. So we have that element of men versus women, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's like what this what Chris is showing is he's showing the blueprint, which is going to happen in seasons in the future. And that's if one tribe completely decimates another tribe and there's one person left, that one person can do a ton of damage in the right uh, situation. And Chris is showing you how to do it In, in a lot of the. The other people in the in, in in the dominant tribe, like Leanne, they incorrectly placated people in their alliance, and Chris correctly placates people in his alliance. He tells Julie exactly what she wants to hear so that she won't scramble against him, and she leaves. And then he tells Eliza exactly what she wants to hear, and she leaves. And you know it sucks, and they feel hurt, but he he needed to do it to advance himself further in the game. And if you even look at Eliza's jury vote in the end, she's not even that upset with him because he's done it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just, you have to cut their throat and he's kind of cruel to her on the way out. But she even says at the end, I mean, she's voting against Twyla, but she even says, I hope you win, Chris. And she has a smile. So it's like, he's a charming little rogue. He can get away with this stuff just because people like him. And That's he all I the, can he, say. He picked the right people to send to the jury. I guarantee you if he said Twyla to the jury, it would be the completely opposite situation. Absolutely. Although, if he had sent Twyla to the jury, he would be the worst player ever. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't want to face her in the final two. Yeah, he'd be Colby. Oh, yeah. hey. <laughs> uh, we'll get there in a minute. But uh, yeah, Chris. Now we're getting into the final three. So, final three: Chris Scout, Twyla, pretty mm-hmm. good. And then we get Jeff Probst coming up, and you know they're like, "I think Jeff is coming." <laughs> and then Jeff's like, "I'll get to you." And then he's like. Hey, remember that really awesome Roy Mata story that we trotted out just like at the end of last episode? Well, he's totally buried on that island across from you. And that's where you're going for your rights passage. <laughs> I was surprised that the like the season wasn't sponsored by like Roy Mata Toyota. Like go to Roy Mata's Toyota after the season. Get yourself a car. Wow, classless. Yes. <laughs> All right. So anyway, yeah, so they do the little rites of passage. Again, remember, we do not call this Fallen Comrades. It's not Fallen Comrades. They do the rites of passage. I don't remember anything specifically coming out other than Scout saying lots of little Scout things. Yeah, the, the, only, the only thing I really remember is that JP's video uh, highlights his main three things that he's known for, which is him almost fighting the natives, <laughs> him rubbing up against the men in that balance beam challenge, and then failing to make the fire. They didn't show him in solitary at any point? Uh, they, they they put it in for like one second as like a, an Easter egg, yes. like one of those sh- frame, the Fight Club like frame changes. <laughs> they also show Rory breaking the immunity idol, which is great. Yeah, I also did like that. You know, again, like final dig out the door, and she isn't even there. They finally get to Eliza's torch, and I think it's uh, it's Scout says, "My my my, what do we say about Eliza?" And Twyla says, "What haven't we said about Eliza?" <laughs> it's like yeah. the, it's like Holy out of the play. It's like taking out of the player haters club from Chappelle show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little one, you got little one, you got even skinnier. Oh boy! Uh, but their their offerings for Roy Mata's grave are essentially they kind of do a they're kind of Indian givers and they uh, they give back the spirit stone and the chief stabs they were given to throughout the game. <laughs> I'm glad the spirit stone was such an important part of the season. 
It looked pretty. I don't. Even, I don't remember if there was like a definitive shape carved out of it when they first got it. But when they gave it back on day thirty-eight, it looked pretty weathered. Like hmm. it looked just like a rock. It's a fucking I, rock. It, it, I think it was pretty rock-like on day one. Like you know, it's like no, this this is a totally sacred stone. <laughs> I think again. I think the. I think. I think Jerry and the natives were pulling one over on Jeff as well. You know, just like what? We, what? Oh, I know what we can do, dude. I got a great idea. <laughs> Let's just tell him we have something and it's totally sacred. Like, oh, yeah. dude, oh, get that rock over there. It's just a rock. No, dude, we'll just we'll sell it. We'll sell it. We'll just yeah. like totally tell him. We'll put it on top of a pole. It'll be great. And then we'll so have him exchange it for a pig. Do you think? Do you think Roy Mata's grave was just like it was just like the rec center? Like it wasn't even like a graveyard. <laughs> yes, that was his hot tub. <laughs> oh boy. So, yeah, the rock the rock was all misshapen because all season long they've been throwing it at Eliza in their spare time. So that's why it was all <laughs> We're gonna give you this rock, Roy Mata. Thank you for letting us be on your land. We totally threw it at Eliza, like repeatedly. <laughs> he's like, I heard about Eliza. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the chief stabs. We sodomized Eliza with them on occasion. <laughs> wow. Wow, Mike. Sodomize <laughs> is one of the few words we try not to use on the podcast, Temp. Yeah, that got dark. That got dark. I apologize about that. That's okay. The editor will cut that out. No one will hear that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So now we get to the final challenge, which is the, again, a, a challenge they've never used again in Survivor history. And I love this one. Awesome and, challenge. Yeah. yeah. Again, I'm of the, of the old school belief that the final challenge should always be uh, endurance based. And this is one of the better ones the warrior pose. Yes. For those of you following at home, they. Had to stand on a platform, which you know, had, it was you know that each feet was kind of like on a separate level, and they were given a bow and arrow that they had to knock, and then once they knocked it, they put a little piece of paper in place, of, uh, basically above where the arrowhead is, and so they couldn't step their feet off the platform, and if they released their knocked bow enough, the arrowhead would pierce the paper, and if that happened, they were also out. So they basically had to stand there with a bow and arrow you know, knocked back in, in this, what was known as a warrior pose and last one standing wins. It's awesome. And they were on uneven stumps. So their feet were at different levels. Yeah. Cause it's mm-hmm. sort of that, you know, badass sort of archer yeah. look. <laughs> and surprisingly scout goes out first, which you couldn't see coming. And then I have to, I have to say, I love this. I was watching it. Scout doesn't even watch the rest of the challenge. She just naps. Yeah. She just lays down and doesn't even look. Uh, but as soon as scout skip steps out, Chris starts, you know, Wheeling and dealing, he says, you know, you know the outcome, Twyla. It's as yeah. good as gold, Twyla. But, of course, when, you, when you're competing in a challenge with Twyla, she wants to go whole haul. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I think she says, I may fall off this thing or ram this thing up my ass, but I'm sure as hell not going to step off. Well, that's not a deal, Lil. Well, that's, Lil, that's, that's, that's not a deal, Lil. <laughs> at one point, Twyla loses because she accidentally fires the arrow at Eliza. <laughs> It's tough. I it, it it's tough, and I don't know what Eliza or sorry, what Twyla was thinking at this point. But you know, in poker terms, Twyla is drawing dead here. Like, if she goes to final two with Chris, she loses. If she goes to final two with the Scout, she probably loses. So, not looking good for Twyla. I have to point out. Someone pointed this out to me on the Funny One Fifteen message board that. You know, Chris takes a lot of crap that he loses the the balance beam challenge at the start of Vanuatu. Well, guess what? The final challenge, he wins, and it's a balance challenge. So full circle, bitches. Chris totally redeemed himself like in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Screw you, Probst. 
Exactly. So enough doesn't get made out of enough. We never make enough about that over the years that Chris redeems himself in balance and nobody ever mentions that. It's tough. Yeah. Twyla does say afterwards that she would have taken Chris anyway to the final two because they had the final two packed. And I guess I believe her. But, you know, I feel like Chris needed to win this one, like really to just sort of cement this victory all the way through. Yeah. And really just take it. I mean, and Chris knew it was a no-brainer. He was going to take Twyla. Twyla was toxic for the jury. I mean, this is all just sort of formality at this point. But, you know, if you're rooting for the full comeback, you're like, come on, Chris, you have to win this challenge. What I love about this is Chris wins. You know, Twyla slips. She pierces her arrow. He tries to go into his little T-bowing dance where he starts doing his Chris celebration, but he can't because his feet and his knees are in agony, so he stops midway. All he does is he throws his hat, and it goes into the water. And then he has to go pick it up later and put it on, and it's all dripping wet, which I think is, it makes me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Twyla, Twyla loses, and for the first time in one season, nobody disputes that they, that they, they didn't lift their foot or that the arrow didn't pierce the mark. So uh, it's, it's, it's all set and done, and Chris is guaranteed yeah. final two. No they, way! And they can go wake Scout up and tell her the challenge is over. I think that's totally smart. I would totally nap. Are you kidding me? She doesn't even... At one point, she's rooting for Twyla. But yeah, for the most part, if you look, she's just kind of got her head down or she's sleeping. Yeah, and and maybe people don't like it because really, Chris wins. They go back to camp and there's like no no scrambling. Yeah. Yeah. What's the point? I mean, we got a lot of drama coming up. Let's save the screen time for the final tribal count. Right. The only the only like little conflict is like Chris thinks well Twyla wanted to stay up there and Scout was rooting her on maybe she would have taken Scout if she had won but that doesn't I mean that's not a possibility since Chris had won he doesn't really care Twyla's the obvious pick they go to Tribal Council him and Scout kiss on the lips she's gone <laughs> and the jury all gags when they see that like ew cut it out Lil <laughs> <laughs> stop doing that Lil. <laughs> Yeah, so now we have a final two of Chris and Twyla, who is not the final two anyone would have picked at any point during the season, but here we are, and the jury just looks absolutely horrified that they have to pick between these two. Mm-hmm. So we're, right. at, we're, at, uh, we're at day 39, and Chris, uh, Chris, as he narrates for us, he thought he was just going to relax, but then he realizes that there's still some more game to play, and the, the game today is called Try to Convince Twyla to, to Go Ape Shit on the Jury. Yeah. I plan to let Twyla put the last nail in her coffin tonight. Yeah, so Chris is like, I'm just so inspired by the way you don't take crap from people. He's like, you don't take crap from no one, so I'm not going to take crap from them either tonight. We're going to go in there together. Which is a wonderful way to bury Twyla even more. It is, and you have to give props to Chris for keeping on playing. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't just get to day 39 and say, well, now I'm just going to keep to myself and, you know, hope that I give good answers in the jury. He tried to work Twyla over and, you know, basically get her to be riled up. I don't know how much of that affected Twyla's performance. Like, I honestly feel like Twyla was going to say those things no matter if Chris goaded her or not. Yeah. Uh, You know, but that's irrelevant. He still was trying to play. Like, what you should what you should praise Chris for is the fact that he still was playing on day 39. He still was trying to look for an angle in which to better himself. It probably didn't in practice, uh, come to fruition, you know, exactly. Like, I don't think Twyla was like, you know what? I was going to be super nice and I'm going to go to tribal council and, you know, speak my mind and, you know, just call everyone a jackass. Like, I don't think that, you know, Chris's words affected the situation, but he's still playing. He's still trying. He's still thinking on how to win. And that's how you should remember Chris. You know who? what it reminds me of is Sandra burning Russell's hat right before Final Tribal Council and Heroes vs. Villains? 
Again, you don't know if it made any difference, but it's just Sandra still trying to get any little advantage she can. Just she wants to piss Russell off right before he goes to tribal council, so maybe he'll snap. Yeah, I was going to say, you see, Russell, you can still play the game on day 39 and not incorrectly threaten to send people to the jury. <laughs> I'll put you on the jury. I oh, will. Do we, get, do we get to bag on Russell in a couple seasons? Oh, now I'm looking forward to this. Uh, <laughs> a couple seasons being like what? Ten, Ten more seasons? Jeez. Well, Cook, yeah, Cook Islands will just be one episode, so we can. We'll, don't worry, we'll work this out. Still, that's like nine full seasons. <laughs> I have no perspective of time, you jackass. Don't make fun of me. All right. So anyway, speaking of jackasses, Twyla and the jury. Yeah, so one oh. broken, one broken hammock later. Yeah, I was gonna say this is Chris's second great moment in the hammock where he and Twyla are just gonna relax before they go to tribal council and they sit on the hammock. And then it breaks, and they both come crashing down, which is a great little moment. And then Twyla giggles like a little five-year-old girl, and my, my wife said, I, I love Twyla's laugh. She's got the cutest little laugh. Yeah, it all, it all works out. But uh, we get ourselves to tribal council, and, uh, you know, everyone's there. And Sarge looks like, uh, I mean, you know, I, I talk about people's final tribal council apparel and whatnot, but uh, and Sarge, you you've made the Hall of Fame because that shirt is terrible. Is it better than the general? No, the general still wins. The, the right. general's outfit is still the best because he's got like the 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 pleated pants that are sort of bloused, and you know, it, and, and that shirt, that denim shirt, open like Sarge has got. I mean, it's a red, white, and blue shirt, right? So, in you know, Sarge being in the military, like it's totally sort of appropriate, but it is just this tacky sort of stripe. I mean, it's it's very like late '90s sort of shirt, and I know that it, we're into the 2000s now, but it's still sort of that fashion. It's like, oh, Sarge, not not the best shirt ever, honestly. Classless, one might say. It, it, should, it should have been a themed like a you know you had like themed costume parties. It should have been like a themed jury. Everyone wear like your late '90s clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Chad Chad brings his zip off shorts. <laughs> Got some Eddie Bauer in there. Yeah. Yeah, more flannel is needed though. <laughs> All right, so we start up in the jury with Eliza, who always has something interesting to say, especially because she hates Twyla and because Chris just d- betrayed her. And there's a great uh, comparison. It's uh, it's visual. We can't really talk about it on the podcast. But if you look at the visual shot of Eliza uh, confronting uh, Chris and Twyla, it's exactly the same as Helen when she confronts Clay and Brian in Thailand. And just trust me on this, when you see the pictures, it's absolutely amazing. It's the exact same shot for shot that they used in Thailand. And I'll post the pictures. Go to funny115.com when you listen to this podcast and go down to the bottom of the page and I'll put the pictures there and you'll see them. They're absolutely amazing. So just just remember that after this, after you listen to this. Yeah, it's, it, it, I remember it is really weird to the point of like Twyla and Clay who are like not necessarily this similar people have the exact same position. It's very eerie. Yeah, it's cool. So yeah, so Eliza comes up and she gives the famous speech, uh, you were a deceptive lying bitch, Twyla. I may envy your position, but I do not envy your life. And then Chris, I knew Twyla would be a deceptive lying bitch, but I did not know you were a deceptive lying bitch too. You pretended to be my friend. You rubbed salt in the wounds, Chris. Unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Which is a great speech. And again, Eliza gets a lot of credit for being a good juror. This is why. And then she, (laughs) classic... Classic Twyla versus Chris dichotomy where Eliza demands an apology. Chris says, of course, I apologize. I've done you wrong. Twyla says, fuck you. So it's classic Chris versus Twyla dichotomy. Well, it's always tough because though 
I think, you know, she says, I demand an apology, but she's asking for uneven things, which is a fun thing because, like, Chris betrayed her that one time at the end, right? That's mm-hmm. a super easy thing to apologize for. And yes, Twyla should have apologized. I'm not, you know, Twyla plays this incorrectly. I'm not, I'm not uh, saying it at all, but I mean, Eliza's basically like, Twyla, you were nasty to me on like 480,000 several occasions. I need an apology. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and, and, and Twyla is basically like, for what? For when? What did I do? You know what I mean? Whereas like, it was, Chris, you betrayed me the night I got voted out. I demanded an apology. And Chris just like, Eliza, that night I voted you out. I done you wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When, I, when I done that, it was for us, Eliza. It's, it is, it's interesting because it it's also a little bit of like a, a Katie and Janu situation from Palau where like, I mean, Twyla was probably about 90% sure she was not going to get Eliza's vote no matter what. So she was probably like, I, I'm just going to burn this one and see if I can get four at least. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think it's that. And I mean, Eliza's like, I mean, and I think, you know, Eliza or Twyla just takes a tact of like, what specifically are you pissed about? And Eliza's like, oh my God, really? Do I need to make a list? And Twyla's like, okay, you're a brat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is that I, you know, Eliza is very justly up there, you know, taking out the frustrations of Twyla and by proxy Scout being completely nasty to her. But I mean, Twyla's just basically like, what specifically do you want me to address? And Eliza's like, oh my God, just say you're sorry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she won't. And uh, Eliza sits down. But Eliza is cementing herself as a decent jury member and she's going to what further cement herself as, you know, epic level jury member in Survivor uh Micronesia, but I still like to think of Eliza just as her badassness in Vanuatu more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I did appreciate her in Vanuatu. She was a fun character. I, I, I liked her more this time than I usually do on viewing, so that's good. That's and good. now we, we continue on the emotional roller coaster and go to Julie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Julie comes up and she's already in tears. And I love the look on Chris's face. He's like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's you know, usually the way they structure or edit these jury statements now, like, they they kind of put the fodder, like, in the beginning or in the middle. Like, Scout was the last one to talk in this season, but in any, any of the modern seasons, she would totally be going first. Uh, but it seems like right from the beginning, Chris is hit with, like, the one-two punch of the two people he immediately betrayed. Yeah. And the, again, that makes you wonder if the producers just didn't want Chris to win. If you start off the, jur- the jury with the two, they're going to hit him the hardest— then they, the rest of them have more time to think about that. I'm just curious. Just one of the little conspiracy theories I've always wondered. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's true, but you could make that argument. Yeah. I mean, they did not like him. You could tell. Oh, they definitely didn't. And uh, he, I feel like he, he handled this one well, too. And this is the whole thing that, again, I understand, Mario. I understand. I understand that Julie and Chris were tight and they were brother and sister type thing. Like, that, that isn't lost on me. But, like, Julie was not part of an alliance with Chris after the merge. Like, she was actively on the other side and actively making further inroads on the other side because they booted Scout from the Final Four and replaced her with Julie, right? Even though she was hanging with Chris and talking with Chris, you know, just about what was going on in the game and, you know, gave him the heads up that they weren't going to vote him out the Tribal Council. Like... They weren't together, and even on the Leanne boot, they weren't together, and they weren't together on the Amy boot. Mm-hmm. They weren't together on any of those things. The next boot is Julie going home, and she's like, "Chris, you betrayed me." Yeah, you betrayed me. Now, 
Oh, what's the? I'm trying to remember the room line. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, it's from uh, Tommy Weasel. I don't know the exact. I know there's so many good room quotes. I'm gonna it's get like them you, mixed it's up. It's like you lied to me, you betrayed yeah. me, and I don't want to be part of this world anymore. <laughs> yes, don't touch me, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. But anyway, yes. um, it's I, I. I just even even now, like the, the I find the the it the Julie question just to be very uncomfortable and out of place because I get the fact that she felt hurt. Like I, mm-hmm. I understand, you know, that, that that's how she felt, but like looking at it with any ounce of objectivity, it's really just oddly placed. Yeah. It doesn't fit with the narrative. It doesn't fit with the narrative. And I don't even really think it fits with, you know, cause we, we are champions on this show of, of telling people that what you see on the TV is not always what happens out there. And in fact, a lot of times, you know, it is clearly not what happened out there. But, you know, Chris did snow over Julie by saying, yeah, we're, we're together. But they weren't together previously to that. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, they basically decided to vote together during the Julie boot, during those three days of the Julie boot, in, in, in which case Chris was just placating her because they weren't voting together before then. It's not like they had formed some voting pact and then he broke it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but again, there's so much we didn't see. I mean, there's no way we could know what, what had gone on between them. I understand that fact, but the voting record does show that they weren't together and all that. So it, it's always tough for me to, to see someone get this emotional over something that must have happened within three days. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I, I, I can't defend it. You're absolutely right. I don't know what the, what the missing link is there. Who knows? There must be, you know, and, and I, I'd love to have an explanation. I'm not trying to say that, you know, this is right or wrong. It's just confusing. Mm-hmm. Well, again, although the, moving on to the actual answer, this is where Chris gives one of, again, a, a fantastic jury answer. This is one of those things you want to see how to answer questions in a jury. Just watch Chris and Vanuatu, where she's like, You know, you built me up. Why did you have to lie to me? It was so elaborate. And he's like, I didn't lie to you, Julie. I let my heart get in the way. I did you wrong, and I am sorry. I looked at you as a little sister, and if you disregard our friendship, I am sorry. And then we get a great shot of them cutting to Probst, and he looks annoyed, which I love that, <laughs> knowing the history behind Probst and Julie and Chris and stuff. Probst is like, fuck you. Stop lying to my girlfriend. Let me bring up the balance beam again. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, you know how Chris is always lying and Twyla's always telling the truth? How about that? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, yeah, yeah, so Julie, just to sum up, I know that I've talked over it, but Julie basically comes up and she's crying from the start, and she's... She basically says to Twyla, my beef's not with you. I'm either voting for Chris or I'm voting against Chris. And then she addresses Chris and was basically like, why'd you lie to me? You know, didn't we have something together? And he's like, we did. And, you know, I had, I had to get rid of you for the game. I done you wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's a great all-purpose Chris answer. It is good. I done you wrong. I done you wrong. And, you know, I feel like, you know, this is, this is jury management 101. Like, Eliza and Julie are the two big bombs for Chris on this jury. And I feel like, I mean, I don't think that he masterfully snowed them, but he certainly didn't lose ground on any of that stuff. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. he came out dead even and or ahead on both the answers because he was honest. He, you know, Eliza wanted an apology. Chris gave her an apology. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now it's Twyla's turn to get hit by the hard answers because it's uh, it's only been an hour and a half since her promise on her son has been brought up, and now <laughs> and now Leanne brings it up again. Yeah, now Leanne brings out her son himself. Look at what you did to this boy. He's going to hell. 
<laughs> so yeah, this is basically the whole rest of the jury is everyone slamming Twyla for her lying. We got the two iffy Chris jurors out of the way, and now we got Twyla must pay. Yeah, I mean, there's really, there's really not much from Leanne's thing. Uh, she basically says, like, you know, why did you do that? Twyla said, you, should, you know, she turned her, they turned their back on Scout and brought Julie in. It led her to not trusting them. And, you know, she, she admits that she trusted Leanne fully, but she never really trusted Amy. And Amy was kind of the factor that made her turn. Uh, and then Leanne kind of brings up hints to Chris that, like, there might have been a plan or, like, it was the idea of the Women's Alliance to vote for a woman in the end, but that might change for her tonight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she was basically like the the idea was for a woman to win. Convince me otherwise. And Chris was basically like, well, you guys just gave me one opportunity and I managed to get here. I persevered. You should vote for me, which is a pretty big softball, I thought. Yeah, it was pretty clear that I think Leanne was voting for Chris. What does he say to Amy? There's a great line to Amy like. You have a flaw. You have a warm heart. You're too open-hearted. You gave me a chance. I didn't give you a chance. That's why you're over there. Well, yeah. Chris, like, Chris brings up the word backdoor at least like five times in this final <laughs> tribal council. He, he, he is fond of the backdoor, I must say. <laughs> but yeah, that's the whole thing is that Amy comes up there and Amy you know, gets her pound of flesh in. And then she basically asks the question to both of them. And the question is, what qualities do you have that are, make you sit over there? And what qualities do I have? And Chris takes an interesting spin because, you know, notoriously and not necessarily up to this, but in a lot of modern Survivor, like jury members want to hear somebody sort of own up to their game. But but, you know, they don't want someone to just, you know, selfishly own up like I'm great and you're not right. But Chris sort of takes a path where Chris says, you know, you, you know, he says to Amy, you gave me one chance. You didn't vote me out that one time when you should have. And that, that was it. And I didn't give you that chance. Yeah. Which is, that's one of the smartest answers he could ever give. That is, a, that is an incredible answer. Yeah. And he, again, he doesn't get Amy's vote, but it's entirely possible he could get another vote with that logic just because it's really well done. And again, it's hard to even pick what the best Chris answer is. He's got about six really yeah. good ones. Mm-hmm. He tells people what they want to hear, and he doesn't get everyone's vote. He's clearly not going to get Scout's vote because Scout will vote for Twyla. And, you know, he doesn't get Amy's vote, but he he basically says on there, I mean, he 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 doesn't say like, I suck and you're great and yet I'm here and you're not because a jury member doesn't want to hear that because yeah. that's really weird. But Chris just basically says, you're too nice. You're too kind. It takes someone not nice and kind to be here. And I'm that. Yeah. And then Chris, yeah, he even follows up with that to Chad saying that you have these great qualities, all of you, and I don't. And I hope to become a better person back in real life. Yeah, it, to me, it's like, I, I mean, if people are watching their history, I mean, almost, I would say, if you want to prepare for a jury, like, just copy Chris, you know, mm-hmm. which may get you in trouble, because what if someone's seen Survivor Vanuatu, and you're like, you're just copying Chris's answers from Survivor Vanuatu? Like, yeah. that's so good, where he's like, I just was blindly going for the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to then do things that maybe you wouldn't. And it, basically what it is, is it's elevating the jury by saying, you're great people, but it's yeah. not necessarily saying I'm a bad person. It's just I am wired in a way that I am here in the final two and you are not. Yeah, that's really, again, we've talked about that before, that the final tribal council isn't about you. It's about the jurors. Yep. Like exactly. you tell them what they want to hear. And that's the thing. It's really it, it makes no difference what you think about anything. It matters what they think about stuff. And again, 
in my opinion, there were only two votes, jury votes, that were up for grabs. And those were Leanne and Julie. And I'm not sure Leanne was even up for grabs. I think she was fully in the women's category. I think Chris was just so good and Twyla was so bad that Leanne flipped. But I think Julie was the really the only vote that was kind of up for grabs there. And Chris not only got Julie, he got Leanne, which was astounding. So, again, when I talked to him once, that's what he said. He goes, I, I knew I was going to get Eliza because she hated Twyla. I knew I was going to get Sarge and Chad because we were buddies and I never portrayed them. And so it was really, he had three votes. All he had to do was get a fourth to win. He thought he was going to have Julie's, and he's like, the Leanne vote was just a surprise that he even swayed her. So, I mean, it's an all, all a testament to Chris in that a final tribal council may have actually, good answers may have actually won someone the season in this case. It wasn't predetermined who was going to win. It may have. It seems in retrospect on Leanne's question, she gave Chris a pretty good softball. I think that she yeah. was, she I think she was going to vote for Chris no matter what, which is, you know, which we wouldn't have gleaned, right? Like, you know, going into final trial council, it's not like I at home, I was like, oh, he's totally got Leanne's vote, you know, but yeah, you know, looking back on the final trial council, I think that he had Leanne pretty sewn up beforehand, but Julie might've gone against him. Yeah. And another Testament, this is something a lot of people might not know. Another Testament to how good Chris was at this season is that this was the first season. Chris told me when I did my interview with him that, this was the first season where the producers stopped uh, keeping the jurors apart. Uh, what's the word for that, where you keep the jurors apart? Sequester. Sequester. The jur- they, were, they were not sequestered anymore starting in Vanuatu. It's where the producers stopped caring about that stuff. So the, the jurors could all live together. They could talk about the vote. They could plan to vote together. And again, this was the first season in Survivor history that the producers really didn't police that. And so there was this – Chris said there was this huge movement behind the scenes by Amy to make a woman win, to say basically, look, the women came this far. This was our season. We should really have it so a woman wins. So again, it was to Chris's testament that he even got past that. There was this huge movement that he shouldn't win, that he still convinced Julie and – uh, and uh, Leanne to vote for him. So again, that's just more more credit to Chris as a winner, how good he is. So he glossed over. He answers Leanne's question. Chad comes up next, I believe, right? And then yeah. says the, you know, what did, big picture, what'd you take out of this? And yeah. they both give weird answers. And, you know, Chris gives the qualities answer, which is great, right? Yeah. You know, just super good answer. And then the it's it's just Scout's last, right? Or no, 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 is no Sarge. 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 Yeah, sorry, sorry. It was Sarge and then Scout. But yeah, Sarge, Sarge destroys her. Sarge just comes up and just absolutely takes a dump on Twyla. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, she was the reason that the men lost the game. I mean, he really was in with her. They had a solid bond. She turned on him for no reason. So there's a reason he was mad. That didn't come out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, which Jeff Probst totally ignores at, at uh, the reunion. But we'll get to that. But, yeah, he, he does say to Twyla, he's like, look, Twyla, I'm probably going to vote for you, which, which is great. I love how he sets that up. He's like, I'm probably going to vote for you, but I just want to know, is the price of your vote the million dollars, sun lie, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Twyla's like, no. And he's like, Chris, I probably won't vote for you, but are we friends? Are we going to go to a race? And it's so funny because it's so transparent, right? And Chris is yeah. just like. Yeah, totally, Sarge. We're friends. Our friendship is, is true. We'll totally go to a race. You know, that's like, a fact. That's, that's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> and I love it because, like, you know, when we get to the vote, like, you see Sarge's vote and he votes for Chris and he's just like, psych. I just want to know where we stood. I was just sitting there going like, dude, you didn't fool Chris, Sarge. You suck at this Sarge. game. <laughs> We're still going to see a race in Charlotte and that's a fact. Yeah, and, and Sar- I mean, Sarge is like, I mean, he, he tells Twilight, like, he doesn't want to see her in life again, so I guess that means no more, like, taking her to the race and then putting a dress on her because she's I'm a not, woman. I'm not putting a dress on you and taking you to dinner. <laughs> um, and then he says, he says, you know, you said you hope your son will forgive you. If my mother told me that, I would tell her to kiss my ass. 
And I've been to Europe, so I've seen my ass. <laughs> I've seen the ass to kiss. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and then we end with Scout. Who just says, you know, thanks, guys. Well, no, she has a great quote to Chris. Well, yeah, like, you're, uh, yeah. you're bullshitting out your ears. <laughs> you're bullshit up to your ears. It's true, but there's a great quote in there about Twyla that kind of gets forgotten, where uh, she goes, Twyla, you're not able to bullshit. It trips you up sometimes, but you can't not be Twyla, which I think that's a great quote. And again, if you have sympathy for Twyla at all, that, that is the ultimate Twyla quote. She can't not be Twyla. Which is Twyla, really funny be because Twyla. I don't think that ultimately that helps Twyla. No, not at all. So, like, when you're like, it's a, it, she has a great quote, and I'm like, I guess it's a great quote in the sense that it's a scoutism. Yeah. But, like, you know, scout, scout basically is like, she basically goes up and says, Jury, I'd like to apologize for Twyla being sucky. <laughs> yeah. It's just who she is. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my crap, scout. Like, you sort of <laughs> threw Twyla under the bus. Like, Hey, Joan, did you notice how crappy Twyla's answers were? That's Twyla. Yeah. <laughs> Twyla's like, yeah, excuse me. I'd like to have Scout stop speaking for me, please. Yes. And she then, starts singing. Yeah, I don't know where, where she missed me at which places. Yes. And then, Chris, you're in bullshit up to your ears and everyone kind of laughs. <laughs> I don't know where else that takes you other than right here. <laughs> Thank you for 38 days. And it was like, Scout, thanks. Yep. Perfect ending to Scout. A riddle. So we get final tribal council, and again, it's the whole thing. It's like Twyla wakes up at this point, and it's it's the Lillian Morris wake up after everything, you know, is done. And she gives a very good final speech where she sort of owns up and apologizes. And, you know, I think that just the fact that this whole sun talk, and I think that, as she mentioned in the reunion, I think Sarge's thing hit her real hard. Yeah. You know, because I think that she really did look up to Sarge, and she even mentions it in her final speech. How about, like, you know, the fact that Spar- Sarge doesn't respe- respect her hit her real hard, because I think that... That was that, and I think that really woke her up and was like, "Look, you know, this is this is how I do it. I I'm cold. I wore my honesty on my sleeve. This is who I am, you know." And, and the thing is, is that I think she gave a really, really good final speech, but it's too late at that point, you know. It's too late, and she's up against someone so much better than her. It just isn't going to make a difference, right? And it's like maybe she'll sway Stephen, and then Chris comes with his speech. And <laughs> the thing about Chris's uh. final speech is so good is that he addresses everybody yeah and i don't know why people don't do this more because this is so good oh god yeah i mean so so he starts out by saying you know going off of scousing he is a bullshitter um and then you know he goes right uh, he starts i think he brings up a, a no actually he starts from the right and moves up to the left i think so he starts with scout and he mentions something briefly but then i mean he gets well, he's, right he's to just, he says scout you're right i'm a bullshitter but i've learned that you can't bullshit a bullshitter yeah, but then he uh, he moves right to Julie, and he brought her a gift. Here, Julie, I brought <laughs> you your hat. <laughs> I could just picture probes wanting to walk up and punch Chris at that point. Because <laughs> I love you, you're like my little sister, and look, I brought you back your hat. Which I didn't think you were allowed to bribe jurors. I really thought that was a rule back then. Like, didn't Penner get busted for that once? I uh, know Yule did for Pen for for yeah. bring, giving Penner his hat. So it's one of those things. I always wonder why Chris didn't get more crap for that because that's literally bribing a juror. But he he does it and no one seems to care. And Julie gets this little smile on her face like, oh, we're still friends. And it's just one of those. If you like Chris, that's one of the greatest Chris moments ever. If you hate Chris, that's one of the moments you just want to strangle him. <laughs> and then he addresses Eliza again, right? And he's like, I've done you wrong. <laughs> yes. yeah. Makes me, You made me feel like maybe I shouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> and then, you know, Amy, Amy and Leanne. 
You gave me an opportunity. Back door. Back door. <laughs> Back door. I took it. <laughs> and then, you know, Sergeant Chad, I made two, you know, two incredible friends, friends out of this. Blah, blah. Like, it's so good. Yeah. It, it's, it's exactly what everyone wants to hear. And it's like, instead of summing up, like, I feel I deserve the million dollars. I've really learned anything. It's just, let me reiterate what all of you are great at and what, I need, what you need to hear. Yes. Wait, so, so Chris was literally Dorothy at the end of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> I think yes. I miss you most of all, Sarge. Except the thing is he missed all of them the most of all. So that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Julie, I just remembered I missed you the most of all. And here's your hat. Here's your slip, ruby slippers. <laughs> if I only had a hat. <laughs> yes. Although that, that kind of explains why she was always wearing Chris's hat. Maybe he stole it earlier in the season. <laughs> So she was hatless, and at the end, see, he planned this from the beginning. He's like, at the end, I'll bring her her hat, and it'll be the greatest thing ever. Here, Julie, I brought you your hat, so now I can just wear my hat myself, and you can give me my hat hat. back, bitch. I I wanted, I wanted after the votes were cast for her to look at the hat and be like, "Wait, this isn't my hat." (laughs) You son of a bitch, Chris. There's some, there's some Vanuatu native like, who took my hat? It's Roy Mata's hat. (laughs) I found it during rites of passage. Dude, Jerry, where's your hat? Oh, dude, someone stole it. <laughs> Damn it, they left a spirit stone. <laughs> okay, so the season is over, and we have the wonderful ritual of Jeff Probes bushwhacking and bringing the votes back to America. Yeah, you know, we talked about how you love it, and I, I like that Survivor still has a sense of humor, but, you know, it's Jeff Probes. He bushwhacks himself out to a plane and then they get the plane and it's magically you know we get the indiana jones line from vanuatu to hawaii yes to to los angeles and then he's like this is my stop and you know it's always fun with things because they show this you know clearly filmed footage of jeff Probst like skydiving which is cool right he gets to skydive and everything like that and then i i just love the time lapse like he skydives during the day yeah and yeah. then, you know, he puts the urn on the back of the, the voting urn on the back of the motorcycle. And then all of a sudden it's night. I blame Eliza for that. I do blame Eliza. And I'm like, yeah. she's like, this is my stop. And I'm like, did he, did he, did he like really just stop like in San Jose and then have to like drive down? <laughs> like did, the, the, the pilot's like, this, he's like, this is my stop. And the pilot's like, no, dude, this is like central California. Like we still have an hour to go. No, I, I got to go now. I like to think there was one viewer at home who was angered by that. Like, no, that's not how it happened. It's fake. Reality TV's fake. It's fake. Phony. <laughs> You're all phonies. <laughs> it's, holding, it's a modern-day version of Holden Caulfield. Writing <laughs> yes. into Mark Burnett. Oh, it's just boy. like that. All right, so we get to the final reveal, and of course, Chris wins because he's 150 to 200% better than Twilight anything. And uh, this is great because... The first and only Survivor winner to shout out the F word and scream and then run off camera, which is it's I wrote about this in the funny one fifteen, how I love it, how Chris said the F word and was bleeped. Although if you watch the DVD now, they cut that out. It's not on there anymore. Yeah, but it, was, really? it, it, it just combs it over. I was super disappointed. Yeah, it used to be on there. That's the thing. That that entry on the funny one fifteen doesn't make sense anymore because they have edited it out. But I swear when it was on TV, Chris screams, fuck yeah, and they bleep him, and it's the funniest oh, no, thing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. will confirm. It's it's yeah. yeah I, I I streamed it on uh, Amazon on Amazon this this season when I was watching it, and he it, they kept it in for some reason. Oh, yeah. Well, so on still, the official on the official release DVD, it is not there. The man is keeping us down. So what I love is that you know Chris, he does this super Chris celebration right where he, like. 
he screams, he screams the F word. He like points up, he points out and he, and then he, then he, then he remembers, right. Then, then he see him. He like remembers, he gives Twyla a nice hug. <laughs> yes, you know, like, like, like he's like, yeah, oh, well, hug. Good game. GG. All right. Yeah. And then, and then, and then he's like, then, he, then like Sarge is like coming up, like wanting to get a big Sarge hug, but no, he immediately like runs out to his family and he's like, hugging Lori, he's hugging like his family and he's hugging a member of Rockapella and then you know then he runs back on stage and then Sarge gives him the big bear hug but I just love the progression of it all like he is just you could just see like in his head he's just like all the blood that was like all, all eight pints of blood in his body is now like up in his cerebral cortex like he is just like <laughs> running around now Chris is great I, I love Chris I love that there was once a survivor winner like Chris and what There's I, never been another one like him. What is fortunately good, because now we need to sort of get into this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time because I know we've got post-wrap to sort of get up and stuff like that, but the Survivor Vanuatu reunion is the most uncomfortable reunion that's ever been outside of Tanya coughing through everything. <laughs> it is ridiculously uncomfortable to watch because Jeff Probst is just out to get Chris the entire time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's terrible. And it's yeah. terrible, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but... You know, it, it, Mike and, and Mario, I'm sure you have something to say on it, but it's just it's just a horrible reunion. But what I do like about it is I don't think Chris really knew at the time during the reunion that Jeff was just absolutely just headhunting him because, again, all the blood was in his head because I think the whole time he's just like, holy shit, I won. Oh, my God, I won Survivor. And so, like, Jeff Probst just trying to, like, get him, but he's like he's, his face is red and he's flushed. And I just think he's just still like, oh, my God, I just won a million bucks. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Even at the time, I remember a lot of people commenting that Jeff Probst was just kind of a dick during that whole reunion. He just slams Chris repeatedly. He's always trying to build up Twyla, how Twyla should have won. And it's been one of these questions over the years. Why was he so upset about Chris? He just clearly didn't like him. He didn't like that whole season, didn't like the ending. And one one excuse that I've used myself over the years is I think he was probably just too close to Julie because I know Probst and uh, Julie started dating. I don't know, I'm sure everyone knows that, but they were dating in real life after the season, after the reunion show, they started dating. But she had made her intentions that she liked Jeff before that. So I think they were kind of sweet on each other even up to this point. So one of my theories was maybe maybe Jeff just was so furious at the way Chris had just treated Julie on the way out and had been mean and just had insulted all the women that maybe he just was a little too close to the action. So that's one excuse I've used. Again, I don't know. I don't have any proof why that happened. All I do know is that Chris has told me himself that Probst actually apologized to him a couple of years later saying that, you know, probes didn't handle that whole season and the, and the reunion very well. And so he apologized to Chris afterwards. So Chris said he was actually a good guy. But like, I'm like, yeah, a lot of damage had been done. Like probes is like Hulk Hogan. He's totally no selling that whole reunion. He did not sell Chris as a winner. And it was a huge detriment that the fan base never really accepted him. But again, I will say that probes did apologize. I don't know specifically why probes was such a dick that night. Again, it could have something to do with Julie. It might not. I don't know. Anybody's theory is as good as any other. And do you have any ideas, Mike? Um, I mean, I, I guess it could be something like that. I, it might also just be, I, I mean, Jeff Probst isn't an, ex- an executive producer of the show yet, but I feel like he was taking a lot of reception from the, the, the metaphorical people on the street that he brings up nowadays. And I feel like the fan base was not very warm on this season, and I think that kind of affected Jeff's, Jeff's process going in as well. I mean, think, let's think about, like, the audience reactions to this reunion as well, like, it was very awkward. Like, I feel like all the laughs and applause that Chris and Twyla were getting were like, I feel like there were definitely a few boos in there. Or like, everyone just felt really, really nervous. Now, 
that might have been going off of the last reunion, which was, you know, Madison Square Garden, Jerry getting booed off the stage in front of America. But, like, I feel like everyone was just really nervous to be in this reunion. And it doesn't help that the two big topics that were brought up were, remember when Chris lied to everyone and remember when Twyla swore on her son and then broke that promise. Like, considering those were the two big things to talk about rather than, like, the earlier reunions, which I feel like were like, let's celebrate the season and get back together again. I think that definitely set the tone for just a really awkward, awkward reunion. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Probst was headhunting. I mean, because he kept talking about how, like, well, Chris lied to everyone all the time. And I'm like, not necessarily. Yeah. Like, he lied to Julie and he lied to Eliza near the end, you know? But he was straightforward with Scout and, uh, and Twyla, you know? And he was straightforward in the men's alliance over on the Pevy. And I mean, you know, it was the men were on the losing end of the merge. The women lied to the men, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he made lies. Like, you know, Jeff Probst seen more footage than I have. Like, maybe Chris was making white lies all over the place. But, you know, it seemed like, yeah, he betrayed Eliza and he betrayed Julie in the sense that, you know, he told them that he was with them and he wasn't. But, like, you know, Jeff Probst just kept saying over and over again how, you know, Chris lied to everybody all the time about everything. And I was like, dude, Jeff, calm down, buddy. Yeah, it was weird because it would also be like... Like, during the Twilight Sun segment, like, they would be talking, you know, there'd be people, jury members invested talking about what the promise meant to them and whether they made up the Twilight afterwards. And then Jeff would just throw in a comment being like, yeah, but but then Chris did this. And it's like, you you can lay off of him. Like, he's a, I know he's a winner and a big character, but, like, considering the fact that in some of these modern seasons you ignore your winner for big stretches of time, like, lay off the guy. Yeah, they lay off him. And then, yeah, and then they get to the 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 sun lying point and it just became it became bad tv because you know jeff probes is clearly out to get chris and then the other part is that you know amy they're they're all talking about like what the twilight lie meant to them Mm -hmm. and then they get to the sun and the sun's like dude she was just trying to win a game right And the thing is, is that Scout actually steps in and is just like, why don't we all just not be hypocrites about it? And it gets a big applause, right? Because I think people are like, this is kind of a non-issue. Yeah. And even the people that were hurt by it, like Amy and stuff like that, were basically like, yeah, I was hurt by it at the time. I'm okay now, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, they were all trying to brush it on the rug, and then they kept trying to bring it out, and everyone seemed to be okay with it. The sun seemed to be okay with it. And then Jeff would bring it back, yeah, but Chris is an asshole, and it's like it was just a weird sort of go around on everything. Well, and then one point I remember Jeff points out, you know, Twyla needed this money more than anybody ever in the history of the game. She worked so hard. Like, dude, like, he's never done that for another player before. Yeah. yeah. It's just weird. Like, uh, well, could we not just keep constantly point out that Twyla needed this money and should have won? Like, it's ridiculous. And it's one of those things that a lot of fans kind of picked up on Jeff's vibe and said, well, Twyla should have won. And Twyla kind of for years kind of kept up that stance, like, I should have won. I got screwed in Vanuatu. But she shouldn't have won. There's no way she should have won that season. It's not even close. No, not at all. I mean, if if anything, I mean, I think, I don't know. If, if Twyla had won, I guess the season, it, it would have the opposite effect that it does now. I think the season would have been, like, popular at the time because they're like, yay, Woman's Alliance succeeded. Great storyline. Hooray. But then, like, as time went on, people are like, oh, wait a minute. Twyla actually, like, didn't really deserve that. 
Yeah, I actually have an interesting story about that. Um, you know, if, I don't know if you've listened to the DVD. They, they have the commentaries on the episodes. And the commentary on the Final Four episode is is Chris, Scout, Twyla, and Eliza, which is just a recipe for disaster because they just bicker the entire time. And Chris told me once, he's like, you know, Twyla has been convinced for years that she should have won the season and that she got screwed and all this stuff. But Chris said, you know, we actually we had the entire cast, the entire jury there for recording DVD commentaries. And like we were just having fights and fights and arguing. It was just horrible. And Chris said at a certain point, you know, Twilight kept going on for the millionth time that she should have won. And so Chris said, okay, as a jury, we just decided, okay, let's, let's just stop right here. We're going to stop recording. We're have a little conversation. Let's just have a little unofficial revote. If we voted again, how we would vote for the season because they wanted to convince Twilight she wouldn't have won. And Chris said, not only in this little uh, reunion DVD uh, unofficial revote did Twyla lose, she lost by one more vote because now Scout was so sick of Twyla saying that she should have won that Scout has now switched to Chris. So Chris said, we voted again, and now it's six to one that I should have won. So it's like there's no way Twyla should have won. So it's just one of those things. You still hear this to this day that Twyla should have won, but like even the Vanuatu cast doesn't think she should have. Yeah, impromptu revotes that don't mean anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, notice that the first question when Jeff comes in and says, Chris, you lied all the time. Like, instead of asking the first question, like, you know, what were some great moves or what was your philosophy? It was, you know, talk about your lying and you're, you know, telling people. And, you know, Chris was like, yeah, I just told him what I wanted to hear. And his first question is to Julie and how Julie feels, Mm -hmm. you know. And then later on, he talks to Sarge and he talks to Sarge about the lie. And Sarge is, he he basically is taking Sarge to task because he's like, Sarge. Your jury question to Twyla was about the sunlight. You weren't even around for that. Why are you mad at that? Why did you yeah. ask that? Like, he's mad at Sarge for that thing. And Sarge is like, well, that was anger at the time. But I was in Sarge says, I was mainly mad because she screwed over the men on the Pevy. We trusted her and she screwed us over. And like, he's starting to explain that Jeff cuts him off and is going to someone else. Like, he doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, I, I do remember that moment specifically. Like, could you at least let him answer? Jesus. Because it's not what Jeff was doing. I mean, the reunion is super uncomfy. So if you like super uncomfy reunions, go for Vanuatu. Yep. If you like super uncomfortable DVD commentaries as well, Vanuatu is good for that too. All right, yeah. So, I mean, that finishes off. Chris gets the check, and uh, the season ends. We're done with Vanuatu. You know, I, I, I'm going I. I've talked about my interview with Chris a couple of times here, and there's a, a lot of really interesting stuff I, I, that came up in that interview. I talked about a lot of it on the podcast. I'm kind of skimming through it here, mentioning a couple of things, uh, going through things we didn't talk about on the show. One, one of the things that you guys might find interesting, or our audience might find interesting, is uh, I wrote right here. In one of my favorite entries on The Funny 115, I talked about how Chris screamed the F word when he won and how he was the first Survivor winner ever to do that. Well, Chris confirmed to me that the, the exact phrase he yelled was, fuck yeah, and he had been explicitly told not to do that. For the final vote, the producers pulled Chris and Twyla aside and told them no matter who won, they were expected to shake hands and congratulate the other person respectfully. But when Chris won, he got so excited, he just screamed, fuck yeah, and he ran out to the crowd to hug his family. And then I said, uh, one of the funniest things about when Chris is celebrating is that there's a guy mugging for the camera, one of Chris's family members. This is the guy you referred to as the Rockapella guy. Chris said, that's actually my nephew. He goes, my nephew was so excited to mug for the camera that he actually knocked my, li- my wife Lori out of the way and sent her sprawling. So if you watch the celebration when Chris is winning, that's Chris's nephew mugging for the camera, and Lori is nowhere to be seen because she had been knocked to the side. Oh, jeez. So there you go. <laughs> I'm trying so to think I, 
I mean, I, I guess if we want to, I guess, start giving final thoughts on this season. I mean, I, I was thrilled to go back and watch Vanuatu because as I brought up in the beginning of the podcast, I feel like this is one of the first seasons in about a five or six season streak that becomes largely forgotten, especially nowadays. And I feel like there is so much wealth to plunder here. From a character perspective, I mean, there were so many interesting characters. And I think like what we talked about from the very beginning, they were still resembling real people at this point. I mean, you have people like Twyla and you have people like Amy and even Eliza who like, they weren't these very broadly sketched people like we see in modern seasons. They are they were real people making mistakes, making decisions, making decisions that they thought would benefit them. And it, it lets really interesting gameplay, even in episodes where the writing was on the wall, like the final six and the final five. And I mean, like, even early characters, like, you have, like, Dolly, and you have a, you have a little bit of, like, JP, and then, like, mid-tier characters, like, Rory, Lisa. Like, this, this cast was just full of so many interesting people and so many interesting things that I, I was saddened that it's it's fallen to like the middle and, and lower tier of, every, of everyone's rankings as the years have gone along yeah this is i said to people i think vanuatu could be in my top three i mean it, it really could it is a surprisingly solid season all the way through and it's got great storylines all the way through and as you said mike the characters in it are just great and a Survivor season isn't anything really without its cast. And that's where I think a lot of people get into it. It's, oh, was there a good strategy, this, that. I mean, Vanuatu is a very warts and all season. It, it shows a lot of people making mistakes. But it shows people making good play as well. It's, it's, it's a tutorial on how to play and how not to play Survivor. And even though the game has changed a lot, at its core, it's fundamentally the same. And Vanuatu shows you how to navigate that core. And it's got great storylines. It's got Amy, one of the most complex characters of all time. And it's got just the run of Chris to get to the end. And whether you like Chris or hate Chris, he provides a tutorial for if you are in an alliance that gets decimated, stick around. Keep your head up. There is a chance for you to win, and this is how. And he does a masterful job at that, and he just gives an absolute clinic at Tribal Council. I would say him and probably Todd and China are probably you know the two jury speeches, or not speeches, but just jury performances that should be studied. I mean, it is, it is, a, it is a class on how to work a jury. Yeah, my thoughts on Vanuatu is... I was, again, I wrote about Survivor for the first eight seasons, and after that, I was just kind of out of it. I mean, it's like, I was burnt out. I don't want to write about a, a show with After All-Stars anymore. So I was kind of only half invested in Vanuatu at the start. And it just grew on me as the season went along that I really liked the season. To the point that I was, like, I was shocked when I, re- or not shocked, like, I was as, as much in the camp as this isn't a good season when it aired as anybody else was, but it kind of grew on me towards the end, and I realized what a great story it was telling. Then you had the Leanne episode, the Chris comeback, all that stuff. And I was, it was interesting because Vanuatu was the season that needed people to write about it. It needed people to build up what a great season it was and why you should give it a second chance. And it was a very awkward time for me, specifically because I wasn't writing about Survivor anymore. So what's interesting is I'm like, this is a great season. And it was, I mean, this was absolutely considered bottom of the barrel by just about everyone on the internet at the time. It was always survivors got a lot of good seasons, except the crappy ones like Vanuatu, Thailand and Africa. Those were always the three that were mentioned at the bottom. <clears throat> and so it was awkward because I wanted to build up Vanuatu and there, no one was championing the season ever. And so what happened is I decided to do this project on, it was in MySpace at the time. I just had a blog and that was the extent of my writing uh, audience at the time where I'm just going to write out, write this, 
Survivor countdown of great moments. And I'm going to do a lot of Vanuatu stuff because I wanted to get people to appreciate Chris and get people to appreciate that season. And that's kind of how my project, The Funny 115, came about in that, yeah, that was a countdown of funny moments. But in reality, that was just a uh, propaganda piece for me to get people to appreciate Vanuatu. And again, I have to point out, no one was championing Vanuatu or saying anything good about it at the time. So that was a very unpopular thing to write at the time. And I got a lot of negative feedback about the funny 115 when it first came out for that reason specifically it's great but knock off all that vanuatu shit we don't want to read about chris and so again this is why i always tell people what a what a history i've had with vanuatu like that was its reputation to the point i mean i i i talked to chris a couple years after that i did this interview with him and this is the first interview he'd ever done with anybody no one had ever reached out to him to do a survivor interview before and his wife was shocked she's like Chris has never done an interview before. And I'm like, I would love to talk to this guy. And so we had this interview and I, uh, I wrote my notes here. I said, uh, Chris said that he still gets flack whenever he goes out to sign autographs at fan events. People will come up to him and just say how much they hate him. And I'm like, do you think any other Survivor winner gets that? He's like, I don't know. It's ridiculous. He's like, I played Survivor. I played a great game. No one ever liked the season. He was just shocked. He never got called for All-Stars. No one ever talked to him. Probes wouldn't return his calls. And it was this was the reality of Chris's life and Vanuatu for about four years. And I worked, I mean, I will not sit here and say the funny 115 is the only reason that he became popular. But I mean, that list got 600,000 readers. If you go look at this counter on it and all it takes is one or two people to kind of see what I was writing and start saying the same thing. And it kind of spins and spins. So, again, I'm sure I didn't have everything to do with it. I'm sure I had something to do with it. But it's amazing Chris is a hugely popular winner now, and Vanuatu is all of a sudden this amazingly popular season. So it's done a, a quite a turnaround over the years, and a lot of that is just because it's a quality season. People have rewatched seasons and realized the season is fantastic when you watch it again. And so I have a lot at personal stake with the season. I mean, to the point I've mentioned it before that I tried to get Chris an interview on Rob Has a Podcast. Rob Sesterny, you know, of course, most people know, runs a very popular Survivor podcast. Rob did not want Chris as an interview guest. And I'm like, Rob, I'm, I'm friends with Chris. I'm friends with his wife, Lori. I would love to set you up with an interview. He would love to do one. He's never done an interview. He doesn't even own a computer. He doesn't know people write about Survivor on the Internet. And back then, this was not an uncommon stance. Rob says, I don't think he's a big enough name. I don't think anybody would listen. Like, who remembers Vanuatu? Who remembers that guy? And again, that's not Rob being a jerk. That's what Vanuatu was. So I have such a vested interest in people liking the season and it's been i mean that's the thing i've talked to Lori over the years his wife and Lori has said the same thing she's like it's amazing that people like vanuatu now and it never was like that and it's done a complete 180 now we go to events now and he's one of the more popular guys at these events so like chris has been he has been through the ringer a lot of the he has not had the happy survivor winner life like a lot of the survivor winners have and i just want people to realize that i'm not exaggerating when i say this was not a popular season this is i've heard it from chris himself and Lori dozens of times i know what their reality was and it's just i really want to thank the fan base that has kind of come around and given the season a chance and given it some love because it absolutely that was not the case in between about 2004 and 2008 it's just amazing how much the fan base has come around on it So, in, in, and also to say, um, Lori is very prominent over at Previously on Survivor. So, if you liked Lori on her, uh, you know, loved ones visit and stuff with Chris, 
uh, go go drop her a line. She'll probably respond back to you. And just and just affirm to her that she did not lose the challenge from both of them. <laughs> yeah, she's still in therapy every Friday, so watch out. She's still very fragile. Um, before we sign off, I want to talk about one more thing. I want to talk about Twyla. Because a lot of people have... I've heard a lot of questions about uh, when I said we're doing a, the podcast on Vanuatu, and they're like, was Twyla a huge fan favorite, or was she, like, hated, or... Like, what was the deal with Twyla? And Twyla's an interesting person because she's one of those people I would call kind of a tragic figure in Survivor. I don't know. Would you guys agree with that? In terms of, like, being undone by her own, her own, uh, her own flaws? I just think she had a really, really hard experience in the game. Yeah. It, she's, it, she's one of those people. It's interesting that people say, like, oh, yeah, Twyla should come back. Twyla should get asked back. She's one of the people that I think, like, if you asked her to come back, she would say no. Just yeah, because, like, you could tell from that last statement, like, Survivor, like, just made her emotionally spent. Like, she was, she just realized, like, I, this is the game that I should not be playing in. Yeah, it's, it's tough for me to watch. If you start having empathy or sympathy for Twyla during Vanuatu, I think it makes the season tough to watch. Because she has a really hard time with it, and she's clearly over her head at a certain point. And again, she, I mean, she brings a lot of it on herself. And people ask, was she a fan favorite? Was she hated at the time? I'm like, she really wasn't either. I mean, she wasn't loved other than people hated Chris. So I guess they liked that. But like, she wasn't hated. I've heard a lot of people say, well, she lied on her son. The audience hated her like they hated Fairplay. I'm like, I don't think that's true either. I don't remember people particularly hating Twyla other than they thought she was like, just kind of annoying and a loud mouth. But it's like, I just see her as a tragic figure. Like, I'm trying to think Lil is a good example. Someone who just absolutely was destroyed by Survivor. It's just, it's hard for me to watch kind of Twyla's story in Survivor. So I appreciate what she brought to the season, but I do think I feel bad for her when I watch it. So she's one person that always kind of jumps out at me. Yeah, I, I've said uh, in the past that, you know, Twyla to me ticks a lot of boxes as someone you want to bring back on a season because, you know, she went far. She is, you know, of an age range where, you know, usually they're looking for people to come back from, you know, all, all these other things. But, I don't know. I, Twyla did do, didn't she do the Fear Factor, the the reality Fear Factor with Fair Play? Do you guys not know what I'm, I'm not talking sure. about? I didn't, oh yeah, I, I know. Didn't. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think she did actually. She did. Like she did do reality TV again afterwards. It wasn't Survivor, but yeah, they there was a, a Fear Factor where they did. It was a, a reality TV partner Fear Factor where you know Joe Rogan made them eat gross crap or you know do weird things and. Uh, f- it, the, the team was Johnny Fairplay and Twyla from Survivor. Wow! <laughs> so there you go. Team, yeah, team lie, make faulty promises on your relatives. <laughs> so when you say like you know, if she got asked back to Survivor, I think she'd say no. I, I, she might say yes. I mean, you know, she was on those other reality shows, but I don't know if it's Survivor. Maybe she says no. I, I, I'm unsure, but she does seem that the type of person that they will never ask back again. Yes. And again, she just fits in that category of people I always call the tragic figures of Survivor. Just they kind of feel bad. And it's funny that's a perfect segue as we lead into the next season because Ian is the all time king of my tragic figures of Survivor. Oh, Ian. Oh, oh my god. That poor little dolphin training boy. <laughs> oh god. He just uh Yeah, I mean, Ian was not meant to play Survivor. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, like as we're, get, we're going into Palau, not one of my favorite seasons. It's a season that was, you know, 
the fans loved it at the time. It had a great, really popular winner, maybe one of the, the most popular winners of all time. And it, it's funny because I don't think it's the greatest season, but I think Ian's storyline in particular is one of the most fascinating things ever to happen on Survivor. So well, I don't love the next season, I really am interested to delve into this Ian thing and watch it play out again. Oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's that's the one big question that I want to figure out from doing this this rewatch for the Pullout podcast is why it was so popular. And it might just be a context thing. It might have been because of it following after a very unpopular season in Vanuatu and a winner like Tom versus a winner like Chris, or maybe there's just some sort of aspect of it that made it super, super popular. But, like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to dive back in. I mean, I think we're all, like, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I feel like everyone's here is kind of like a little lukewarm on the season. It's definitely not one of my favorites. I think there's some some really interesting quirks as a part of it, but um, I'm ready to to dive in and see uh, see what Oolong and all the weird dynamics that Karor have to offer. And just wait until we break out those Ibrahim impressions. <laughs> yes, because Ibrahim's going to be the person that that Jay is going to impersonate in the next one. <laughs> oh, big reveal! Yeah, see, yeah. Jay didn't Jay didn't have any good uh, Im- impressions in this Vanuatu. I think the audience was a little let down on that, Jay. Yeah, well, sorry, but Mario wanted to, you know, I've been doing Rory for years. I'm going to do the impersonation this time, Jay. You just sit here and look pretty. So I sat here and looked pretty, and uh, I did a great job at it, and thank you very much. But uh, I, I hope that I contributed something other than screwing up all your podcasts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Go fuck yourself. But, you know, it... <laughs> This was fun. I love this season. But yeah, Palau is going to be an interesting one. I feel that I like Palau as a concept because I feel like the way that season played out, you needed that season. You needed a season like that to to exist. However, there were parts of that that I think didn't do well. Like certain people probably shouldn't have gotten as far as they did. Also, we get Stephanie. Hey, I'm excited to talk about Stephanie. She's a firecracker, that one. Well, yeah, now that's another reason, though, that, you know, without getting too far in advance, that's the reason why Palau was received so well, is that Stephanie is the next big thing. Oh, yeah. You talk about Tom being a big deal. Stephanie trumps Tom. Yeah. Though, I'm, I'm, I'm part of me is excited to, to hate Karen all over again. <laughs> she, she's my gene, so I'm excited to just, like, to, oh. get, to fall in hate with Karen Grodel all over again. Well, Karen sucks. Well, okay, here's a nice transition. If you're talking about a character who was not appreciated at the time and seems to be pretty popular now, we had Chris and Vanuatu. Just wait until we get to Katie in Palau. I love Katie. Mm-hmm. Katie was absolutely hated by the fan base at the time. It's going to be fun to talk about her. Well, it's because Katie is an archetype of a character that is so common today. Yeah. Like, yeah. she is a modern survivor character. She is a goat. You know, she is the archetype of, 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 a, of an endgame goat. You know, which which we've had before then. But, I mean, she is so, you know, and she's she's got such a good personality. Well, I mean, she, you know, she's mean to everyone. I love it. But, you know, she was <laughs> such an interesting and fun character on the screen. But people did not like no. the concept of Katie. But it's like she'd fit right in in a modern season. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm Bobby John, and I look like Jesus. <laughs> uh, I'm actually, uh, when I was a kid watching this, uh, Bobby John was one of my favorite survivors ever. So I'm also excited to revisit why I fell head over heels in love with Bobby John over the course of two seasons. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. You're going to regret yourself a little bit, but it's okay. I'm going to keep the blinders on now and once again stay, stay a cockeyed optimist until I see the faults. 
Wait a minute. Uh, I love Bobby John. One of my top 20 most underrated characters ever. Maybe well, top his, 10. As a character, he's off the charts. Like, yeah. he's entertainment and a half. I mean, that, 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 is, that is without a doubt. But when, when you try to pinpoint why you like him, it's, it, it gets a little dicey. But <laughs> There's the one scene in the water where he beats himself up to psych himself up, which I love. It's the, the liar, liar scene where they ask Jim Carrey, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, I'm kicking, kicking my, my own, own ass. ass. <laughs> yeah, that's Bobby John. Oh, man. Oh, I love it. All right. I guess we should wrap up. We're over three hours now. We are over three hours. It's been so fun to talk about Vanuatu. It's, it's just been a joy. For all of you listening, I hope that you've been re-watching these episodes as we've been talking about it. And if you haven't, go back. rewatch it. Vanuatu is just an incredible season. It is. Jay speaks the truth. Mm-hmm. All right. So I guess that's it. Uh, anything else to say before we move on to the uh, World War II slash uh, shark season of Palau? And Balutes. Uh, Sorry, I forgot about Balutes. Uh, fuck Rhino. <laughs> fuck Rhino? Well, I had to bring him he back. Held, he held in that grudge for three hours. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> we, will, we will blame Eliza for all of the you know, World War II Palau-themed stuff. All right. And if you didn't like this uh, Vanuatu podcast, don't blame me because I was just laying here in the hammock. Yeah. That's exactly right. Exactly. All right. Oh, I, got, uh, I, got you guys, I brought your hats, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> Aw. We're besties again. Well, I don't know about you, Mike, but I don't wear a hat anymore. I just, you know, have my hair region out. But it's okay. I've been to Europe. You know, I don't take too kindly to guys with hats who's been to Europe. That's classless. Hey, you are messing me up right now. Come on, little ones. (laughs) Don't you talk about my fisher that way. (laughs) All right, that's it. We got it all out of our system. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, so let me go work on that Ibrahim impression, and we'll be back in approximately six to eight months with our first Palau episode. All right, uh, again, thank you, as always, for listening to Survivor Historians. Uh, and I'm going to give a shout-out. We haven't done this up to this point, but thank you to Tim Allen. Is that how you pronounce his last name, Jay? It is. Tim Allen, who is our uh, editor, who edits all our episodes and adds the amazing sound effects and all the little stingers at the end, the little sound clips. So thank you to Tim. And if you have any comments or feedback... Or questions, write to us at SurvivorHistorians at gmail.com. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. And I'm Mike Bloom. And one day we will get Paul Oslison back here, and we will have a four-person podcast. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Everything's good. We'll just have to see how this immunity challenge goes. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, it falls in the right direction, we'll talk and do what's best for us. Yeah. To the final three. Oh, yeah. The final two. Well, yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. Now, Chris, what are you thinking? What? Now I'm just laying here, you know, in the hammock.